So, Skrulls are the bad guys. And you're a Kree, a race of noble warriors? Heroes. Noble warrior heroes. Your life began the day it nearly ended. We found you. With no memory, we made you one of us. So you could live longer, stronger, superior. You were reborn. I keep having these memories. Something in my past is the key to all of this. You know how to fly this thing? We'll see. That's a yes or no question. Yes. Would you like to know what you really are? I think I had a life here. What aren't you telling me? You've come a long way. But you're not as strong as you think. This war is just the beginning. I'm not gonna fight your war. I'm gonna end it. Aren't you cute? And what's your name, huh? Gary. What's you? I'll be back. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies. All for you. What's going on, you mother flirkins? It's time for another episode of IPC right here on channel 1138.com, also known as the Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast, and we are broadcasting, as I said, live on the channel. And uh, we got another awesome, fantastic, marvelous episode for you guys tonight. It's going to be a great one. we got a great discussion lined up. And a few bits of news, as we as we always do, and some some interesting stuff to get into. Before we get into that, of course, my name is Ben, and joining me, as he always does, is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Zach Arnold. Zach, what's going on with you? Dude, I wanted to laugh so hard at that marvelous <laughs> joke of yours. That's, that oh was my, the point. Oh my gosh. Well, but you hadn't introduced me yet, so it would have been like random voice. Ah! Just... Randomly. That that's that's the thing. I test you before. See, I say all the funny stuff before I introduce you. And you have to keep quiet. Yep, it's a it's a test of wills, and you like 
push me to the brink sometimes, dude. But no, I'm I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to finally be talking about what we've got on tap tonight. We've been alluding to it already a little bit. It's going to be fun. It, it really is. I think there's there's definitely some ins and outs about this film that are worth talking about, that are worth diving into. And obviously, its recent release gives it some precedence and some relevancy. And so I'm uh, I'm just really looking forward to uh, to talking about it tonight. Indeed, and as you're referring to, and as you probably already guessed, considering you know you you heard the trailer off the top, we're talking about Captain Marvel tonight. Ooh, um, big the, surprise! The, the the latest in the we laid it a couple weeks. We gave you some time to think it over, to watch it again. Some of us watched it a couple times, and uh, yeah, looking really forward to this discussion for quite a while. It's not actually a little while ago. Actually, so I'm, I saw it opening weekend, which is a big thing for me. Um, never get out to the theater uh, very quickly, but I had to go see this one, and I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to discussing it. Um, but before we dive into that, I suppose we should get to a little bit of news that can't propped up in the past couple days. Um, one of the one of the biggest things is a new trailer for Stranger Things, the third season, or just they're just calling it Stranger Things three. Apparently, they're treating these like movies or whatever. There's no season. It's just Stranger Things 3. And pretty darn good trailer. What did you think about it? I was I was intrigued by the fact that the kids are recognizing that they're growing up. Obviously, in last season, they had like these deeper voices and they had these more grown-up type adventures, if you will. But they still tried to keep that innocence of the first season and like keep it alive as best they could. But mm-hmm. like I think at one point in the trailer they they recognize we're not kids anymore. Yeah, they you know? say so, it. Yeah. So they're having more adult type adventures and situations, and they're facing more adult type monsters. That creature that we saw at the very very end was horrifying. Like the these uh, demogorgons or whatever you want to call them just keep mutating and keep evolving into things that Hawkins just eventually isn't going to be able to take care of anymore. And uh, I think they've already announced that uh, the Duffer Brothers at one point said they're only doing four of these or something like that. So we are are approaching the beyond midway point of this franchise with with this release on the 4th of July. And so uh, by the time we finish all of these episodes, we're going to be 75% done with the series. And I think that's the thing that I'm really going to be interested in. How are we going to go from something peaking to something trying to finish out strong? Um, that this is like the middle of that downhill. And so it's really setting a precedent for how big the final season's end game is going to be. And there's a lot at stake. There's a lot of factors to consider things that have grown and built and developed over the last couple of seasons. You get to see them come to light, come to fruition in Stranger Things 3, and I think that's another thing I'm really excited about. Yeah, I, I'm, and I'm glad to hear that the Duffer Brothers have a plan in mind, and they have, they're not just like, oh, we're just going to keep cranking these things out, you know, as long as we can. As much as I might enjoy that, you know, nothing is really worse than a series that has, you know, overstayed its welcome. True. You know, and and thing like there's a lot of series. It seems like there's no happy medium because there's there, there's some series that go too quickly. <laughs> Call Firefly, and you know oh, dude, others. Uh, yeah, it's still too soon. It's always and, too soon. And then there's others that you know. And I, I haven't watched the series, but we also got confirmation today that uh, Supernatural is ending. Um, yeah. I think that's like 18 seasons, which is insane. 
that's insane. And like, depending on who you talk to, you know, I think our, our good friend Sean, he loves the show. He's really, you know, bummed about this. But apparently they're going to be ending it on good terms. But, uh, you know, where they want to go, where the series wants to go, where the series creators. But, um, you know, it, it some shows is like, oh, God, you know, you know, it should have ended a few seasons ago. So hopefully Stranger Things will be that. I, I, I really enjoyed the first two seasons. I'm looking forward to the third season. A lot of great stuff in this trailer itself. You know, you, you get a taste of the monster right at the very end. Very, it's not very Demogorgon, really different, but also a lot the same, I think. Um, in regards to just being this horrifying thing, um, mm-hmm. but you get you get looks at the mall. There's apparently the fair in town. You know, there's a lot of great, a lot of great visuals. I love the visuals in this whole trailer, um, and just you know more of the same characters that we love, which is great. Yeah, there's there's a lot of more of the same, which is cool. But then there's a lot of new you, that you get to explore, and that's one thing that I really love about Hawkins, Indiana, is it's so self-contained and yet still so adventurous you you bring in these people um that that you you see their life unfold before your eyes essentially mm-hmm. and it's a really fun and exciting life but at the same time there are some nuances that remind you of everyday life as well and being able to blend that is part of the genius of the duffer brothers storytelling is you get to experience the normal and the super normal all at once. And uh, while I'm on that subject, uh, just briefly touching on Supernatural, I know neither of us have, have seen the franchise all the way through, so we're not exactly in a very good place to, to really discuss it all that well. But uh, our friends over at the Wayward Roadhouse podcast, hosted by Sean and Thomas, I'm sure they're going to have an entire episode dedicated to it. So if you're a Supernatural fan, be sure to check out Wayward Roadhouse, because they're going to be giving it a tribute, guaranteed. But yes. you're right. The the longevity of that was part of what made, um, what what made the CW what it is today. Essentially, the the 15 years, the longevity that it came with that, and uh, Smallville was on the CW as well, wasn't it? Back when it was just Warner Brothers TV. Um, yeah, I, I believe yeah. those two were the ones that kind of gave sci-fi TV a platform and that's how we got the arrow. That's how we got the flash. That's how we're getting things like Supergirl, legends of tomorrow, um, black lightning. You know, we're finally integrating, uh, fiction with, with comics, with the television world. And a lot of that was thanks to the trailblazing efforts of supernatural. So even though I haven't seen it personally, I can't help but give props to the cast and the crew for everything that they have done for the for the franchise and for sci-fi TV as a whole. Yeah, and I'm just looked up the the stats here. Um the CW has been a thing since like January of 2006. Supernatural began in 2005. Supernatural wow. has been on the CW so long it predates the CW. Like, wow. So you're talking about the, you know, one of the founding shows of the CW has finally come to an end and one of the other big ones, Arrow, is also ending. Um, so, you know, some big changes coming to this, the CW, but thankfully, both of those shows are, are ending, as I said, on their own terms. The creators, I guess, are seeing, you know, a way to, you know, pull it to an end. And, and again, again, I think for people who enjoy it, I think this is a good way because you don't want it to go on too long. Even, you know, obviously, Supernatural has survived 18 seasons. 
they've managed to stretch it out, and that's 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 great, especially for fans of the show. But you don't want to end up on season twenty five and be like, oh god, this is awful. <laughs> like there's it, and it's crazy to think like just talking about season eighteen. You, you rarely talk about a season ten of a show, much less eighteen. Right. Like unless you're talking about The Simpsons, that's on season thirty or something. Oh god. South Park. South Park's another show that has way too many seasons than it's worth. Yes. Like how what what kind of of stupid universe do we live in? Like where is there a parallel universe where people are complaining about how many seasons of Firefly there are and there's only one season of The Simpsons? Yeah, that's that's you know? the, that's the that's the upside down universe where I, there 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 is Ten, there's ten seasons of Firefly, and people are on the internet going like, "Oh God, they should have ended that series at season five. It's awful." <laughs> Dude, I would be okay visiting the Upside Down if it meant getting to see that, uh, get to see that the, all ten seasons of Firefly. That would be amazing. Oh man, yeah, um, I'll spend some time with Upside Down for sure. I, so, that, wrapping up the the thoughts on on Stranger Things 3's trailer, uh, it seems like. From what I understand, the the big place where everybody's going to be hanging out this time is going to be this new mall that's being built, and yes. it's it's going to be like a celebration of sorts because something like this has finally come to Hawkins, Indiana. They're excited, they're ready, and I imagine the creature is going to be one of the key elements about things kind of falling apart in this venue. And so I would I would also assume that the um, last episode or one of the last episodes is going to be the monster tearing apart the mall. I'm just gonna throw that I, out there. I mean, I'd be okay with that. I mean, given the the couple of sequences that we saw of the monster and the the the, the happy go lucky setting of the mall, I would be totally fine with that kind of chaos disrupting the status quo like that. That sounds awesome to me. Yeah, and it also looks like there's going to be dealing with some like some sort of an infection. Like what was the the douchey um, older brother from the last season? I can't remember his name. The dude with the terrible hair. Um, there's a there's a shot of him in the shower with something on his arm. That's like this. Oh really? Yeah. And there's also uh, some other shot like people getting injected with stuff. I don't know. Really, you can imagine. Like I would. I'm I'm looking forward to this because it looks like it's it's because the second season was a lot of pay off from the fight from the first season like you know it was all about you know going back and you know sealing the holes in the labs like that and this season feels like it's that chapter is closed but there's some new threat out there that maybe is adjacent to that but it's not the same thing okay well if i'm being totally honest i really only saw the trailer like once or twice because my my attentions had been diverted elsewhere for you know uh, what part of, you know what for a i would just week. leave it like that don't don't overanalyze it. Just enjoy it. That's why I, I I like with a lot of stuff. Like I I overanalyze so many trailers, especially movie trailers. Yeah. Like when it comes to the TV trailers, I'm like I don't even want to watch them. I'm just I know I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna enjoy it. I don't want to, you know, uh, ruin it for myself. Yeah, yeah, I get that, and and that's probably the best approach to make because then I'll be surprised in July. I'll be like, oh hey, I forgot that this was even dropping. I'm gonna binge it now. So yeah, I'll have something to look forward to uh, this. This July, then. Indeed. Okay, so one more little piece of news we've got here tonight um, is something that came out um, actually just just a few hours before we went live here. Um, 
and it's about some, some some Star Wars news. We've been talking a lot about Star Wars recently, even though there hasn't been a whole lot of news. And this is something to do with the Mandalorian. Now, John Favreau is uh, the head honcho of the Mandalorian, um, and he has been posting a lot on social media, specifically Instagram. So if you haven't already, go follow him on Instagram because he's been like, there's been no real announcements or anything with the Mandalorian recently, but like he's been posting a lot of crazy good, um, you know, images over there. And the most recent one is what appears to be Taika Waititi. He's tagged in the photo, so we can assume it's him. Um, he's standing in in a sound booth in front of a microphone, seemingly doing some acting, as he does. He's not just directing. He was played Korg in Thor Ragnarok. He does all this kind of stuff. He's a talent, multi-talented guy. It's, it's sickening how talented he is. Um, but he's at a microphone. There is a gold and red Mandalorian helmet in front of him, which I can't. Which I saw some people point out that it might be a nod to Iron Man, maybe. Um... And then on the screen in front of him, seemingly him providing the voice for this character is none other than an IG droid, probably IG-88. Um, so is Taika Waititi voicing IG-88 in The Mandalorian? It seems to be that way. That's That seems to be the indication. I mean, unless he's just playing a bit role, which I don't understand why he would... But if if there's if there's an IG in the shot, I'm I'm looking at the picture right now. Like I'm I'm trying not to uh, I'm trying not to overanalyze things, but <laughs> it it definitely gives you some hope, and it also kind of gives an indication that they've gotten a lot of the principal photography done now that they're moving into the voiceover work. Um, so we're we're inching ever closer to the release of this series. Period. Which uh, which is also a really cool thought, um, but if if it isn't eighty eight, it's gonna have to be like a really good new IG character in order for us to like appreciate bringing in another IG droid because eighty eight's been a part of the franchise literally for what thirty years or something like that. Yeah, he's it's... been around since that one little scene in Empire. Like. These, yeah, you know, people pe- people that don't even know Star Wars probably know like, oh yeah, that's that droid from Star Wars. Like, I re- I remember playing as IG eighty eight whenever a droid was needed during Lego Star Wars two. Oh yeah, yeah. And he had and they, the bombs. He had the bombs. Yeah, he you did. Throw. He did. Did you ever figure out how to detonate them early? Yes. yes. Okay. Because apparently that was something that a lot of people didn't know how to do. <laughs> Like, I did it for, for my sister one time, and I did it for my friend one time. This was before streaming was a really popular thing, you know? I probably would have enjoyed the heck out of, like, live streaming uh, something like Lego Star Wars 2 for people. But, oh, yeah. But I used to I used to throw them at, at the walls and at characters and stuff, and they would just be sitting there waiting for it to go, boom! And then I would just I would just use my little secret button, and they'd be like, "Whoa, how did you do that?" Yeah, it was <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, and that is, but killing each other in the co op mode is the best. Oh, Cause you, it was because you just do it over and over again. It just gets annoying, and they're like, "Stop!" 
Well, and what was really funny was I would be doing it after they had just picked up a whole bunch of money or something, and so they'd die, and then I'd run around and pick up all their coins, and they'd be like, Nah, stop yeah, taking and see, my money! Yeah, and see, if you kill them enough, like, they can't, like, pick up their coins. They're studs. So, <laughs> just kids. Right. Like, no, well, and there's also despawned! There's, there's also a respawn delay. So in that delay between when you kill them and when they respawn, you're over there picking up all the big coins. Like, yeah. all the big stuff that they dropped. Yeah. I used to do that a lot. I, I openly admit to that, unashamedly. Yeah. Trolling in LEGO Star Wars is the best. It's it the was, best. It was so much fun. I love being a troll, just in general. So, yeah, going back to IG-88, I I would be very, very interested to see what kind of voice he provided because, uh, obviously, I don't think 88 should sound like Korg, you know? <laughs> but, as yeah. you mentioned, he's he's a very, very talented actor, and so he's got to be able to throw his voice around. Which means something something special is definitely in the works, regardless if it's eighty eight or if it's somebody else. Um something something special is in the works and I'm excited for that. Yeah, I think I think at the very least it could be something along the lines of um you know, maybe they just needed a, a random like placeholder voice, you know, to kind of pitch and, you know, do with uh you know, with electronic stuff and then, you know, it's not really gonna sound like Taika. But it'll be his voice. That um, that could very well be because a lot of the droid voices, aside from Anthony Daniels, most of the droid voices are synthesized in some way that it's beyond recognition. So right, like like uh, the you remember the dude slow and low from Last Jedi, the dude that's on the beach, and he's like, I told those two they're in Last Jedi. Oh um, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, isn't it? There you go. It doesn't sound like him. No, they, it they messed with it. It but, really doesn't. But it's it's. Things. I'm thinking something like that. Or, I mean, they could give him, he could be Korg in a droid, maybe. A um, Korg droid? Oh my Korg gosh. Droid. Korg droid. And this doesn't necessarily have to be IG-88. It could be another droid. Some people are already speculating that it might not be, because like, you think back to the Clone Wars, like, there was a bunch of those guys running around. Like, they had le- there was at least three or four in Clone this Wars. Is, this is true. There, there was one that reported to uh, Zero the Hut in the Clone Wars movie, I believe. Yeah, I think there was a couple. There was at least one in Clone Wars movie. There was two when Cad Bane in uh, uh, the the Senate Senate whatever. How am I not remembering this? Oh, the hostage crisis. Hostage crisis. Cad Bane and Ura Singh and all those guys go in, and there's two of those yeah, things. Yeah, and Anakin took one down by hand. I remember that. Right, right. So, and those are of course like precursors to IG88. I think they're different models, but like. People are already speculating that this looks a bit different from AG-88. It's not the same model. And, of course, this is past Return of the Jedi a few years, so maybe it's a newer model thing or whatever else happened. I don't know. Point is, there's a lot of IG droids out in the galaxy probably, so it doesn't have to be IG-88. I just think that most people are going to assume it's IG-88, and so you may as well just make make it him. Well, I'm I'm trying to think here because I know in the Legends canon there was a certain number of... IG droids that existed out there, but I don't remember how many that was. Um, there was a there was a set of assassin droids. I'm trying to look it up on just Wikipedia because that's a hundred percent accurate, isn't it? <laughs> um, a set of five identical assassin droids manufactured by Holowan Laboratories during the final decades of the Galactic Republic. 
Moments after their activation, these robots slaughtered their constructors and escaped their laboratories to room the galaxy. So, mm, yeah. uh, they, they mentioned IG-88 being among them, uh, but there's also an IG-90 that uh, apparently encounters with Bosk. So, they could try and dip into the Legends if they wanted to, or they could just um, they, they could just go with 88. I think that would be the easier route, but as we know from previous Fabro works, he doesn't always take the easy way out. Yeah. Yeah. Should should be interesting regardless. It's just it's just cool that Taika Waititi and as as I should have mentioned off the top, um, he's directing an episode of this. He's directing Yeah, well, he is. I think he may be redirecting the finale episode. I can't remember. But um he's directing an episode, he'll probably be at least have a cameo, if not like having a role. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even put it past him, like see his face in that episode, um, because. Well, I mean, to... yeah, go ahead. I mean, Ben Mendelsohn made an appearance with his actual face in uh, in this movie that we're about to talk about. Uh-huh. So, I mean, that was one of the cool elements, like one of the cooler elements of the storytelling in this was. One of the actors who is playing a costumed character gets to show his actual face and make it look like it's his fake face. Like, it, like the way that they were able to convolute that storyline and still have it make sense was really, really cool. Yeah, and since we're on the subject, let's just go ahead and talk about it. Um, yeah, Captain Marvel and, and Ben Mendelsohn in particular, Talos, I won't give away any spoilers, but great, great character and hilarious at points. And Ben and Mendo just knocked it out of the park as usual. He really as, did, as you as to be expected. But I love how they kind of utilized like his his. I, I guess we're supposed to assume that uh, Scrolls Australian, or at least Talos is, um, because that's just like his normal uh, scroll voice. But then he puts on the kind of this American accent when he's posing as the Shield guy, and. That whole thing is just—it's great how that unravels, and you know he's great, and he gets to kind of play it both in in costume and in, in with the with the accents, two different accents, two different looks, but he's the same old Mendo, and he's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the brilliant things about this movie in general is the casting. Yes. You know, you, you've you've got Brie Larson in in the title role, but you've also got Samuel L. Jackson, whom she played opposite uh, in Kong Skull Island. So they've already got a little bit of chemistry together from working on that set. And then Mendelssohn, Jude Law, you've got Annette Bening as the as the Doctor Wendy Lawson character. You've got Lashana Lynch as Maria Rambo. Clark Gregg is in it. Like I could just go up and down the list and and give you people from. Uh, other parts of the MCU are just famous actors and actresses in general and new additions like Lynch was that have all found really, really awesome ways to contribute to the MCU with their installment in Captain Marvel. So, you know, like you said, Mendo knocked it out of the park, which was beyond what anybody expected. Like people were excited about his appearance, but now I'm just impressed Honestly, like, yeah. I don't know if I have any other way to explain it beyond that was I was just impressed by the performances we got, the way they were executed, and a lot of the different types of on-screen chemistry that were witnessed. Everybody did a really, really phenomenal job. They did. They did. They were really kind of classic. And I will say, I, full disclosure here, I watched the trailers for this movie. 
I wasn't I wasn't like going in going with like some people on the internet going like, oh it's gonna be terrible but like I was going in going had pretty low expectations I was like okay I'm not expecting a whole lot of the out of this Marvel admittedly isn't most of their like origin films aren't that strong um they're certainly not my favorites so I was going in going like okay I'm gonna enjoy this you know I want to see it it's the next chapter of the MCU big end game tie-ins like of course I'm gonna go see it I can't wait to see it but I'm not like expecting anything major and on top of that I saw like I hadn't I've had no prior experience with Brie Larson. I know she's an Oscar winner. I know her from several of the movies, but I've never actually seen her in anything else. And watching her in the trailers, I wasn't sold on her performance. I wasn't like, ah, she's perfect. She, some of the lines and stuff they used, and maybe it was on purpose or whatever, but they weren't very strong. They were kind of, you know, clunky or whatever. Um, and it, some of it almost like felt like it was like dubbed over, and it wasn't really like authentic. So I'm like, eh, I'm not sure I'm getting a feel for her character. Watching this movie completely won me over. She was amazing. I think she nailed it. If there's nothing else, she gave a fantastic performance, had a lot of charisma, had a lot of great comedic timing, had played fantastically with Samuel L. Jackson. Apparently, they're good friends, and I think it shows in this movie um, oh. because they just knock it out of the park. And Sam Jackson is, is fantastic, but I think I like this version of Nick Fury better than any Nick version of Nick Fury I've seen before. Because he's so like he's so naive to what's going on. Of course, this is, he has no idea what's happening. He's never seen aliens or whatever before. We see him in Avengers. He's this guy that's been through it all. He's seen none of it at this point, and he's so happy-go-lucky and just kind of like you know cynical or whatever. I loved this Nick Fury. I loved uh, Carol Danvers or Fears as she's referred to in the first half of the movie. But yeah, both of their performances and that Clark Gregg. You got you know you got. Uh, What's his name? Um, Mar not Marvel. Yon Rog. Um, why am I forgetting the actor's name? Um, Yon Rog was... is not Jude Law. Jude Law. There you go. There we go. I, I was trying to figure out. Okay, I get that Yon Rog is is kind of a an odd name, but do you really not remember who he was played by? Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. I I knew who he's played by. I just, because podcasting syndrome got in my head and just knocked it out. Like, I could tell Fair you all enough. the characters. I could tell you all the characters. Like, I know he's played Dumbledore. Dang, I loved him. Even though that movie was bad, I liked him as Dumbledore. Um, Jude Law is amazing. His, his performance as Dumbledore was probably one of the best things about Fantastic Beasts, Crimes of Grindelwald. Let's just be honest. Yes. yes. And in, in retrospect, he didn't have a huge role in no, he this didn't. movie. But he, he, he stole the sheens when he was on screen in this one. Stole the sheens like Charlie's? Yeah. He's, he could play Charlie Sheen. Or Charlie <laughs> Sheen should have been in this movie. <laughs> oh, goodness. No. Please, no. Let's let's not go there. Um, yeah, I mean, like, like we've been talking about, everybody that, that, we've, that we've mentioned so far, from Brie Larson to Clark Gregg, I mean, any time... There was there was a sequence involving one of these characters. They made the most of their opportunities. Now, in my opinion, they should have gotten more opportunities. If if I had to find something to complain about, which I may find a few things to complain about this film, just fair warning. But if I had to find something right off the bat, I would have wanted to see more of some of these characters or more chemistry between a certain couple of people. If 
we had gotten a little bit more of the really good stuff, it might have helped win me over from the stuff that I wasn't as big a fan of. Yeah, I, I will say like that the whole thing with the the military unit or, or whatever it's called, Star Force or whatever, that they go with the Kree Union and you know the you have uh, Korath there, which we know from Guardians of the Galaxy. You have a couple other characters like I can't remember their names. I can't remember even what they said in the movie. Like they're so, I mean, quite frankly, forgettable as characters. Yeah, they, they just did not thing, and they're like cool looking they all seem to have like different abilities and different like weapons and stuff like that they really just like aesthetically like they looked interesting but they didn't just didn't do much in the movie like they're in the first part you have one good scene where they're kind of playing off each other and then the movie goes away from those characters and you don't see them till really the end um i don't think that's a spoiler to say so um yeah don't, don't, if, you, if you haven't seen this movie don't go in expecting a bunch of you know <clears throat> kree star force action because there's not a lot of that no, but I mean, there's enough to kind of help set the stage, I think. And, right. I, and I believe that's really what they needed to do was to give you an impression of a futuristic world so that you could contrast it with Earth of the 90s. Right. And, and that's really what they did. That's, that's really all that they did. I'm not, I'm not going to try and go too deep into spoilers, but you know, we all know that Captain Marvel is set in the mid-1990s. So it's, it's a timepiece. And I think Marvel did a really good job of, of helping you uh, feel like you're immersed in the 90s with some of the, the different 90s references or some of the 90s music that was played. There were a lot of things to help remind you, hey, this isn't 2019 and you're not in the year 2200 like you might be over, um, over on Hala. You know, you are, you are in earth circa 1995 and this is what life was like back then so in in that regard i feel like they did a really good job yeah i think it was interesting to set this in the 90s and you know just kind of present another layer of interestingness to this movie because it's not like it's not a huge sticking point with being in the 90s like they they of course they have the music and their stuff and you know, yeah, that's all that, but it's not like this. They don't beat you over the head with it. It's mostly just like, hey, this is back, and, and most of it is in regard to kind of the characters and how they're behaving and the fact that you're dealing with a Nick Fury, and if she showed up, you know, maybe it would, it might make more sense if she showed up in the modern day because, you know, like, it wouldn't be as far-stretched to go, like, try to explain, like, okay, well, where she's been, where has she been all this time? She shows up in the end game, of course. Yeah. Um, You know, where has she been all this time? And apparently there's some leaked footage of of her basically saying in the present day that, hey, you know, I've been out, you know, basically saving other worlds because they don't have the Avengers like the Earth does, um, which kind of makes sense, but ultimately it's, it's just kind of a, an excuse to say, oh, yeah, she hasn't been around. You know, why didn't Nick Fury just call her earlier when the, the aliens started dropping out of the sky in Avengers? I don't know, but, uh, you know, I think Ultimately, it's the setting that kind of like, of course, you have all this nostalgia, you know, when we were just talking about Stranger Things. Like, that came at a time, I think, it's like peak, like, 80s nostalgia. I don't know why, and I think it's still going on, but, like, people just love the 80s. And I think now it, people, are, now that we're getting older, and 90s kids are getting older and growing up, we're starting to get 90s, you know, you know, kids that are 
growing up, they're grown up now that are watching this movie, they're going to get nostalgia for hearing the music and seeing Blockbuster yep. and all this kind yep. of stuff. And, you know, nostalgia is a big thing. And, you know, just to the fact of, you know, for the, for the sake of going back in time and, and telling a story in, a, in an area of the MCU that hasn't been um, explored at all really is. I, I think it was a good choice. I mean, I think you can tell that some of the people in creative development that were working on this movie that were probably born between 80 to 84 really, really enjoyed working on this movie. Right. Because they they grew up in the 90s. You know, 90, 91, 92, they're six, seven, eight years old. They're growing up through the, the 1990s into today. So they're, uh, you know, they're around 30 or so by now. Uh, my timeline may be off a bit. I'm trying to, yeah, about 30. 30 or close enough. Probably, probably, no, I'm not doing my math right. I'm not doing my math right. Let's say 2019... Minus 1983. Yeah, they're in their 30s. 36. 36-37. And that's probably about the peak that you'd have for people that are working uh, in movies right now. People in their 20s and 30s. And so uh, I think this is a, a great nostalgia trip for them and a great tribute to them and a, a testament to their works. And so um, being able to work on all these awesome futuristic things and now you can kind of take a step back and, and blend that with stuff that you grew up on, that must have been really, really awesome for them. That must have been a really cool feeling. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, I mean, most people that are working on this movie are probably born in the 80s or early 90s, or even before, or at least remember the 90s. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, if you were born in 1999, you, you don't count as a 90s kid. You just don't. You're not a 90s kid. You don't remember them, you don't remember just. <laughs> Just hang it up. You're, um, I, like, I like the meme. You're on this council, but we do not grant you the rank of 90s kid. Uh, that's a fair point. You you <laughs> were there, maybe, but you didn't do anything in the 90s except poop in your pants. Like, if I had been born in 89, like, yeah, technically I'm an 80s kid, but I would have no memory of the 80s. All of a like, sudden you know every lyric to every Michael Jackson song that was ever made. Like, I would it's certainly just, try. It's just automatically loaded into your memory banks because you're an '80s kid. Yeah, yeah. But okay, okay. so I'm done. I'm done. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Um, real quick, I, I think pretty quick we'll get into spoilers. But uh, overall, I think if you're into the MCU and you're on the fence about this, and of course there has been, you know, a certain amount of discourse online, unfortunately, in regards to all the Rotten Tomatoes score and whatever. Don't trust that. Just, just go watch this movie. I think it's it it stands on its own. When I, I I wasn't like I wasn't blown away by this movie, but I really really enjoyed it. And I think if you're at all interested in the MCU, you're gonna enjoy it. And I think the performances stand on their own. Um, I think there's some pretty good twists in there, and you know, getting into kind of all you know the whole story of it. I think is uh, it's a pretty it's got some it's got some high notes emotionally, funny stuff. And all around just some good stuff. So here's here's the deal. I watched the movie for a second time today just to make sure that I could stay fresh on it. Because uh-huh. watching it once is really, really tough for me to be able to to, to watch it and, and analyze it and enjoy it the way that I feel like it deserves. 
And so I I took the time out to to go and and see the movie one more time, and I was I I, I posted on my on my Twitter page that I consider Captain Marvel to be like coffee. It is a bit of an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. It takes a couple of times through it in order to view it and appreciate it for what it is. And after you've acquired the taste, maybe it's a taste that you enjoy. Maybe it's a taste that you don't enjoy. But you've acquired it. And you've grown to understand and appreciate it a little bit better. But um, for me, I think I did really enjoy it um, this second time around. Just because I got to explore some more 90s nostalgia. I got to explore some of the subtleties of it there there's definitely a lot to embrace and appreciate about this movie and i think the second time through i got to enjoy it a lot more than i did the first time yeah yeah i look i'm looking forward to like i'm not i'll be honest i'm not rushing out to like buy the blu-ray for this opening day or i'm not pre-ordering no. it i i wasn't nope. i wasn't that thrilled with it but i do want to see it a second time and i do i think it it's worth a watch I mean, any movie can be like that. M- most movies, not not all movies. There's 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 some movies that I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Like sticking with the MCU. I saw Iron Man two way back when. I'm like, okay, that was okay. It wasn't terrible, but I don't need to see that again. I'm done. I've Ooh, seen that once. Take. Once was enough. Um, and maybe I'll watch it again someday. Maybe I'll do an MCU marathon or whatever, but like certain movies, but like this one, I feel like it deserves a couple times through it's, it's, it's a fun romp. It's nothing too deep, but I think, as I said, I I really like, I like the actors, I like the story. Um, and you know, it it just, I think it's a, it's a good start. And of course, yeah, the post credit scene is pretty freaking awesome too. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think the post credit scene, much like Ant-Man and the Wasp, two of the better mid-slash-post-credits uh, scenes that we've had in recent memory. Yeah, I, I don't want to spoil it, but yeah, the, the mid-credit scene in particular is phenomenal. You, 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 dude, you can probably predict what it is, but you're not prepared for it. I, I sure wasn't. I, I know I definitely wasn't prepared for it, but we'll get to that, I suppose. And I suppose uh, we'll do spoilers now. Full spoilers. We Yeah, we might as well. We might as you well. You people have had enough. Go watch the movie, come back, and finish the show. If you haven't seen it yet, go see it, and then come back and hit play. Exactly. Have you seen it yet? Okay, good. You've seen it now. Good. So let's talk about the movie that is Captain Marvel. Um... I'm with you. I think the DVD is about all I'm going to get, if I'm being totally honest. Right. I, I don't think I'm going to get the Blu-ray, and I and I don't think that I'm going to be pre-ordering it or anything like that. And I think the, the big reason for that, by my estimation, is I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where to begin because there's a lot of intangibles about this that make it hard for me to look at it and say it's an instant classic or it's an instant flop. It's not either of those. But it's not even my favorite space uh, Marvel movie, let alone my favorite Marvel movie. It's just it's just not. No. Um, 
there are there are elements of Guardians of the Galaxy that I love a heck of a lot more than I loved about Captain Marvel. Doesn't mean that the stuff that they've got in Captain Marvel is bad. It's just that there is other uh, material out there that I consider to be better and more enjoyable. And I don't know if that's a testament to the writing. I feel like it is. I feel like all of this stems from the writing because we literally just gave a whole lot of praise to the on-screen chemistry and the performances of the people that we got. Like, I, I was very intentional with my words saying they made the most of what they were given. You know what I mean? Right. They they were They were given certain elements, they were given certain lines, and they executed those lines because they were told to. But that doesn't always mean they were the best lines. It doesn't always mean they were the best sequences. Like, let's start with one that, that's fairly obvious and, and also very, very confusing to me. How is something like an entire Kree Star Force managed by an artificial intelligence? This entire planet... This entire population, not just the warriors, not just the people who operate on the on the starships and, and go on these missions, but it's like the entire planet is run by an AI. And as we've seen on shows like the 100, that's not a very good idea. No, that's a that's a bit sketchy. I don't know, like I don't know what's going on there. It's really it's not touched on a whole. Lot. I mean, it is like a key component. I like how they you know kind of bring it in and. She is seeing Marvell as the supreme intelligence because you're seeing like the person that's most important to you. I can't remember exactly the terminology, but like the person you're seeing that a per- most inspires you, I think. Yeah, something like that. And she's I, think, they, I Mar- think they said it's a person that most inspires you. Yeah, right, right. And, and she's seeing Marvell, and of course everyone sees a different person, and she doesn't know who Marvell is because she's lost her memory. Um, right. I like that thing into it, but like the whole idea of like. This entire supposedly advanced civilization, um, which weirdly has blue people and then just random humans in it, um, I don't get that either. <laughs> um, you know, because they, they, of course, they take Carol in, pretty much kidnap her, but at the same time, Yonrog just seems to be a human. Um, I don't know what's Humanoid going on. Humanoid, anyways? Yeah, and he's not like. So, like, they're Kree, they're all Kree, they have the blue blood, but at the same time, they're not. I don't know what the thing is, and the whole thing with like the Kree and the Kree Empire, and then there's a lot of politics going on because you know you end up in Guardians of the Galaxy where they're supposedly have a peace treaty going on, and then you have this, you know, Ronin is a, is an offshoot of that, and he doesn't agree with the peace treaty. Peace treaty, he's going to destroy Xandar and all this kind of stuff. It's a lot of really complicated stuff that I don't totally get. Well, I feel like. Ronan's cameo is more meant to set things up for a Captain Marvel 2. Yes. I think that I think there's going to be an adventure of Carol Danvers in space fighting against the Kree and a lot of Ronan's resistance and rebellion and offshooting and stuff kind of serves as a middle between this movie and Guardians of the Galaxy. At least I that's think, what I'm hoping they're setting things up for. Yeah, I think I think that's my my hope and my assumption for um, for Captain Marvel 2. And I don't want to get into speculation about that because I'm sure we'll have plenty of discussions in the future. But like, Oh, um, plenty. But like with Endgame coming up, we know we're kind of getting a direct sequel anyway, like with her in the modern day in Avengers. So like um, going forward from here, I think the most interesting thing is not like going after Endgame, 
go before that, go like immediately after this movie, um, show her doing her thing out in space. I would say do something similar to Guardians of the Galaxy where you're you're just out in space. She never goes back to Earth. It's just all space stuff. Her possibly taking down the supreme intelligence, and maybe maybe it's a hundred situation where they're kind of controlled, and then she liberates them, and then we end up in the situation with Guardians. I mean, I'd be okay with that. I'd be interested to see what kind of revelations that planet comes across when they realize everything that's happened to them. Because she, like, like Veers was able to understand what the real situation is only after her memory returned to her as a human being. When she was controlled by the Kree, she was pretty much, you know... um mind wiped right you know, or and and so everything that she knew she knew from their perspective it was very one-sided um and so when she finally had that revelation when her eyes were open they were open completely not just to her humanity but to what the kree were doing as well and right. so i found that to be a really interesting component because here's the deal there are very few plot instances where you are looking at something from the perspective of whom you consider to be the hero, and it turns out they've been the villain this whole time. You know? Technically, right. by, by all intents and purposes, Carol Danvers, or Veers, has been operating as the people trying to wipe out an endangered species. Right. And she, and she never even knew that that's what she was doing. She just went along with it and just kept doing what she was doing because she was told to do it. And as soon as she realized that that was a bad idea, she rebelled and she ended up becoming the hero everybody knew she could be. When she started helping the scrolls rather than trying to kill them, she ended up becoming more empowered than she was when she was working for the Kree. And so all of this is like happening all at once at the end of this movie. And I think that's one of the other complaints that I would have is there's a lot that happens during that final sequence. There is a lot going on during that final fight battle and and it just keeps on going on. Different elements, different components, different character stories being wrapped up. There's all these different things that you have to look at and pay attention to. And I felt like it was... Like even more stories and even a little more convoluted than the finale we got in The Phantom Menace. And George <laughs> Lucas himself didn't like that. Well, you know, he... you know and, and they, they, you know, they set up throughout the whole movie that, oh, the Kree are the bad guys, the Kree are the bad guys. And then throughout the movie, I... The Kree are the scrolls. Well, scrolls, I'm sorry. See, I'm getting conf- I'm confused. One's green, one's blue. Um, and one's shapeshifters. Well, they're supposed to be. <laughs> um, but... So you have, you know, the, the, the scrolls who are kind of set up to be the bad guys, and it's ultimately the Kree that are bad guys. And I, I saw that coming. And of course, maybe that helped with kind of listening to a lot of speculation from different people that, like, yeah, the Kree aren't necessarily good guys, haven't been betrayed as good guys in the MCU before. So, like, that wasn't a hard stretch. I thought, I didn't expect. The, the scrolls to be portrayed as the good guys in the end. I thought they would ultimately. I thought Talos would turn in the end, and ultimately it would be about Captain Marvel being on her own side and not necessarily being with anyone. Because you know, I think that's kind of how they were portrayed in the comics. 
but uh, I was surprised that you know the scrolls ultimately were kind of just you know portrayed as harmless refugees for the most part. Um, so, which I guess was good, but I'm interested to see like how where that goes in the, in the in the in the in the future as far as like with the possibility of secret invasion and all this kind of stuff and who end could end up be a scroll like what will be the motive there because the scrolls seem to be just want to be left alone I guess. Right. Um, Right, that's that's the thing that really threw me for a loop about them being the victim instead of the villain, is when they're portrayed as the bad guys, as they were for a good portion of this movie, it made complete sense for some of these people to be infiltrators and have potentially infiltrated the Avengers. You know, I right. think that was supposed to be the big reveal, kind of like in the comics when uh, when Captain America says, Hail Hydra, you know, that was a huge, that was a huge moment in Marvel Comics. Because you're like, oh my god, what has been going on all this time? You know, for us to have somebody like, I don't know, the Hulk or Thor or something like that. Somebody like that getting overtaken by a scroll, And now you're left wondering, how many movies have I been watching that are really a scroll instead of my favorite superhero? Like, it would have been mind-boggling. But now to see them as victims that just want a home... I find it hard to think that they're going to be portraying this scroll infiltration the way we thought it would. I, I know there was a lot of speculation online about, you know, somebody overtaking somebody that we know and love, kind of like what happened with uh, Coulson in this movie. Right, yeah. But, you know, for for that to have any weight, we have to see the scrolls as somebody that's going to pose a threat. By the end of this movie, they're sitting around in lounge pants cracking jokes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was... I, I was not expecting that. The only... and to, to indulge in a little bit of speculation here, the only thing that I can see where this could go, and I'm sure there's an option C that Marvel is thinking of. I'm sure they have a plan. Um, but, like, one thing that I could think of was, like, just like in Guardians of the Galaxy, where you have the the main Kree and you have Ronan, who is this kind of offshoot guy, um, this fanatic as they call him. Um, maybe there is more Kree out there, more more scrolls, I should say. I keep getting them mixed up. There's more scrolls out there that maybe some of them are evil and just want out, want Earth for whatever reason. And when they show up, instead of Captain Marvel being wary to them, she'll be like, she'll be more willing to like, hey, they're good guys. They're, you know, they're the good guys, and that may be kind of her, maybe her blind spot. Maybe she's leading the Avengers at that point, and, you know, it'll, it's bad enough trying to find them and thing, but what if you don't want to find them, or you're you're confused as to if they're the bad guys or not? Like, that adds another wrinkle to that whole situation if we say Avengers 5 is Secret Invasion, or 6, or whatever. So you, you still believe that one of the big storylines is still going to involve a scroll invasion slash infiltration. Oh, absolutely. I think I think we'll come back to that eventually. It may not be as soon as we think, but I think that's definitely going to be on the cards at the point. They're not going to introduce this whole thing with a, a characters that can literally take on the form of anyone, and they're not going to use it for like one of the big things. I think we're seeing like I think I would compare Captain Marvel to like Thor in Phase One. Like, we're getting, you know, with just like with Loki, setting him up as kind of a villain who ultimately comes to Earth in Avengers, I think the scrolls are going to come back in some form. Just not what we probably, I think 
they're trying to throw us off. Obviously, they're trying to like, oh, they're the good guys now. Where they'll they'll come back and they'll be the bad guys again, and we'll see. It may not be Talos, but it'll be somebody. Well, but that's the thing is, in the meantime, I feel like they're completely and severely underutilized in this movie. Aside from aside from what we got on the train, where you know you you tap the shoulder and then you auto you like uh, assume their identity after like just grabbing a piece of their DNA and the, the, the punching the lady they, in the I face. I don't even think they had to have to touch anyone because they're on the beach and they just look at someone, one of the swimmers and they become And they them. just see them. Possibly. I, I felt like that touch was meaningful, though. I feel like the, the brushing of the shoulder or, or tapping on the shoulder meant something. But, may, you know, Taylor be, said... I think... When, yeah. Go ahead. He's, he, he said at one point during the conversation that, you know, you have to have a particular talent for it. So maybe collecting a piece of the DNA before transforming helps people who are less experienced or something like that. Right, right. I I, I don't know. I, I think part of me wishes it had kind of gone the predictable route of, you know, the scrolls being the bad guys and ultimately setting it up. But, you know, I'm also kind of appreciating that they're, they're trying to add another wrinkle to this and, you know, maybe it'll pay off uh, in the end. Well, I mean, longer payoffs are the kinds of things that Marvel really likes to do anyways, because when you introduce an antagonist like Hydra and they seem to be eliminated when, you know, the the war is over, to have them show back up in Winter Soldier was quite a surprise. You know, they've got this kind of longevity. They've done this sort of thing, whatever. You know, maybe there's another set of scrolls that have that have made their way over to C-53, and this this group is different from the one that we've seen, and they're the ones that have infiltrated or, or what have you. But it just it felt like more could have been done because of how mysterious and powerful they are. I, I would have been interested in seeing them utilize those powers a little bit more, but, you know, even still, Talos still found a way to make the most of his powers and his opportunities and and maybe that's a credit to Mendelssohn and and the story that they created for him because he takes on the appearance of a Kree warrior at the end of the film I think uh yeah I think so yeah you're right there there's a, there's a part where uh Fury gets arrested and uh part of the breakout routine involves a, a scroll being disguised as a Kree warrior so Right. They do get used, and they do get used in important moments, but I just I still don't feel like they were utilized as well as they could have been. Because that's a great plot device. That is a great thing well, it's to use. One of the use. best. Yeah, shape shifting is one of the best plot devices in science fiction. Period. Yeah. If you can if you can take on the form of anything like they were talking about on the plane, you know you could be a filing cabinet. But why would I be a filing cabinet? I'll give you fifty bucks right now if you turn into a Venus flytrap. That's the beauty of shapeshifting. You have the ability to shapeshift into literally anything or anyone. And you choose to look like a goblin? On purpose? <laughs> like, if I if I had that power, I would be using it so, so much. And I don't consider that an identity crisis. I see that an opportunity. And I don't feel like those opportunities were, were utilized all that well in this movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what their plan is. I do, uh, one thing comes to mind, and, and since he's not here, I'll mention it for him because he's probably screaming it into his uh, 
his iPhone um, listening to this. Uh, Jake Damon has a great theory about the future of MCU. And he thinks that when Norman Osborn is finally introduced, he'll base his Green Goblin off of the scrolls. And that's how we'll get the Green Goblin in the MCU. Or Norman Osborn gets taken over by a scroll and he keeps shape shifting in and out of his appearance and Osborn's appearance. Maybe. Maybe. Or maybe Anytime you know, he maybe takes he... on anytime anytime he takes on the alter ego of the goblin, he ends up just reverting to his original skull form. Maybe he just like maybe he like experiments with like scroll DNA trying to create some kind of human scroll hybrid that can shape shift but then he just goes all wrong and he becomes the green goblin well that's that's entirely possible because the scientist that does the autopsy on the scroll that dies says that whatever he is it's not on the periodic chart right so if you've got elements in your body that are not known to man than trying to integrate it into your DNA so that maybe, you know, you would have the ability to shapeshift or something like that. Maybe something like that ends up completely altering you and your appearance and all that to the point that you don't have any control over when you're Osborn or the Green Goblin. Because if you remember the original uh, Spider-Man, the Tobey Maguire Uh Spider-Man, he's got a bit of an identity crisis going on. And sometimes the Goblin's character just takes form when Osborn doesn't really want it to. He resists a couple of times, but then by the end of the movie he like completely embraces it. Yeah, but... he's like he's like full on like Jekyll and Hyde in that movie where he's like, you know, he's kind of turning it on and off. He's kind of like talking to himself I think at one point. Like it's really dark at places, but like he's uh they could definitely go back to that. I think most of the MCU villains so far have been like just Oh, people that have good intentions but did something about it. like but the, the, the Spider-Man, I mean both of those, like Doc Ock and Norman Osborn both were like had identity crisis. Doc Ock was this uh um sorry about that. Sorry, I'm just distracted because I didn't realize something was playing on the channel. Sorry about that, people. Um uh what was I saying? Um so you, you, has, you has that been happening all night? I hope not. Because we've been on for almost an hour. Oops. <laughs> uh, just, Mulligan! Just, um, just for the record, people, um, why didn't anybody say something? Okay, so, so apparently the, the, the intro theme did not turn <laughs> off when we came on. Um, thank God we have backup recordings because... <laughs> I'm sorry. I sincerely apologize to everyone listening live. I don't know why. I don't know how that happened. Um, I thought it would go off by itself. Apparently, it didn't. So the intro thing was just like playing over our our voices, um, the entire time. That's awkward. On um, on loops. So like we're going off on these tangents about about the about the movie, and you're just hearing a whole bunch of people going, <laughs> IPC, IPC, IPC. And we have like. We have, like, a few listeners tonight. Like, somebody should have said something. (laughs) 
Oh, oh, this is this well, is the thankfully... fun you get to have yeah. when you're listening live on channel 1138. Yeah, so you won't get any of that in the in the uh, lot in the uh, iTunes version. Thank God. Or maybe you just play it really really soft underneath just to freak people out and they're like, "I'm not really hearing this, am I?" See, I, that and unnerves me. Out... That's that unnerves me when listening to podcasts. If you put music down low and it's just playing over and over again, I focus on it. It drives me insane. So I try mm-hmm. not to do that in my own podcast. Mm-hmm. No, I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm if I'm listening to a podcast, I'm here for the voice, not for the music. If I want to listen to music, I'd put on the radio. Exactly, exactly. Okay, that was a weird tangent. Sorry about that, people. <laughs> let's oh, uh, let's talk. God. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, the the Veers's team on uh, on the border planet the ambush that leads to her capture right um seems like a pretty standard operation you've got part of it going to the uh the accusers who are taking care of business from above and then you send a strike force down inside to take care of the rest uh it turns out your spy has actually been taken over by talos talos now has captured veers because they want to probe her memories this is another scene that I have some complaints about. The memory probe. Okay. What 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 are you thinking? I I'm I'm thinking they could have done literally anything differently and it still would have come across that they were doing a mind probe. Like you could have had her on just a regular table. I don't know why you had to have her upside down and bound. Like it looks like some futuristic BDSM cross or something. It's weird. And wow, we went there. <laughs> yes, I went there. I freaking went there because it disturbed the hell out of me. And did you notice I, they took her shoes off? Yes, I did. That's why I think it's a that, weird BDSM that, cross. Like, why that, do you? That why was you bothering want? me the whole time when she was fighting. I'm like, she's not wearing any shoes. <laughs> she's barefoot. Like, why would you do that? Does did, did Brie Larson like ask for that so she could show off her toes or something? I don't get it. I I really really don't get it. That's not something we've seen in the MCU before. Period. Like, that's just that's just not something that that you're privy to. And so, yeah, like, you could have had her on a table and shown the the scrolls, like, messing with her mind a little bit. And apparently this is really futuristic technology because, you know, she was surprised that they were even capable of going into her mind like that. But the way that they're doing it almost looks like somebody trying to find a certain point in a movie on a DVD. (laughs) It's like, no, that's not it. Hit fast forward a little bit. I liked it. I I I think I, I thought it was kind of interesting how they kind of introduced it, and you got Talos in the background, like go fast forward, go back, go back, and it wouldn't like rewind like a VHS or something like that. It would like change, like when uh, I can't remember her name, Annette Benning's character is is talking to Carol, and then she walks away, and then like she like and they're like no no go back, and she comes back, she like says the same thing, and you could tell Carol's like unnerved by it like what is going on here but she can't put her finger on it um and i like that and, it, and of course it leads to her kind of figuring out like okay she's got these memories and like that which is like if they wiped her memory how are those memories still there that's interesting yeah yeah i don't think it's a memory wipe i think it's more of a memory probe yeah like a blocking you know? system or something like like trying to extract something 
particular because they were they were looking for a very specific moment, a very specific name. So I think it was more along the lines of of a probe than anything, but um it was it was just very weirdly executed because it's like yeah skip ahead yeah no skip back yeah skip skip ahead no 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 oh oh wait okay do that do that memory again okay do it again okay do it again like you you don't realize until you're several several seconds in that that's even what's going on and it takes uh veers a little while to figure out what's going on as well and that kind of ambiguity was more unsettling than creative to me and like i said the when you finally do see the table there, there's one point here's the other thing that i found really stupid okay she is very impressed by by the fact that the scrolls are able to do this at all and she's like this must be how talos got the password or or whatever but at the same time the scrolls treat it so commonplace that at one point it was almost like Veers was a broken old school TV antenna because one of the scrolls comes up and like taps her on the forehead a couple of times and it causes like some static cling to show up on their screens and they're like, oh, that did something, do it again. Like that's exactly <laughs> what happens when you're trying to fix a set of bunny ears. Like you move it just a little bit and you've got a little bit of a new picture going and you're like, oh, that changed something, M- move, move the antenna again. Tap her on the forehead again. Do that again. I'm like, really? <laughs> really? It, it's yeah. just such a weird... It's it's a, such a weird contrast because the, the scrolls treat it like, like a set of bunny ears. And the Kree are super impressed by the fact that it even exists at all. And yet the Kree are the technologically superior race that are driving this species from the galaxy. How is somebody right. so... How is somebody so technologically advanced, capable of probing and extracting information from people's minds, on the brink of extinction from a group of people who find that impressive that they can do that? Yeah, the, I don't know. I don't know how all that works as far as like the scrolls seem pretty advanced, and they don't seem. But but you know, at the same time, they seem pretty like armed up and stuff like that. They have their own ships, but then they're like, you know really trying hard to find these refugees hidden on this ship that's been floating over Earth for 15 years or whatever. Right? If they're that technologically advanced, how did they not know that they were orbital coordinates? You know, at, at one at one, at one point, Talos looks over at his science guy and he's like, really? You're my science guy and you couldn't figure that out. <laughs> and the guy just shrugs his shoulders. He's like, oh, well. Like, make up way, your mind. By the way, Mendo is so good at being condescending. So good. He's just oh, it's like, hilarious. He, he is like, just like, oh, man, dude, really? Really? Or, you know, the whole thing, like, you really shouldn't have that thing in your lap. <laughs> he's like, you, you shouldn't have that thing in your lap. And then another another point is like, call me, call me young lady again, and I'll, uh, I'll put my foot in some place that it's not supposed to be. And he just kind of looks at her and goes, Am I supposed to guess where that is? <laughs> like he's 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 naive to Earth pop culture references because, like, honestly, that type of of ambiguous reference reminds me of like an episode of Friends where Joey is like trying to fix uh, Monica's tile, 
and only a certain part of it pops off instead of the whole tile. And so he decides to fix it by covering up that little hole in the middle of the bathroom with a toilet plunger. (laughs) So like you just, you just, you just walk in and there's a random toilet plunger just sitting there. And Monica's like, oh yeah, that's a really great fix. Uh, I'll put it back there after I remove it from your colon. (laughs) Oh, jeez. So, I mean, there's there's plenty of references that are similar to that. And, and apparently yet, Talos, Talos has not been watching Friends. It, well, he needs to. Like, that was the one thing that was missing from the 90s references in this movie. It was missing, like, a Seinfeld or a Friends reference. You're right. You're right. That is a crying shame that there wasn't. I mean, I guess, I guess we're supposed to assume, like, she's been off planet and she didn't see those shows. But, like, you could have got one from, from Nick Fury or something. I don't know. I don't but know. If he's, why, he's a sitcom watching guy. Why didn't... You know, that, that's what I'm trying to figure out is, like, why why wasn't... Why wasn't any of those shows, like, released? Because uh, the original air date of the first episode of season one of Friends was September of 94. If this movie is set in 95... Then yes, there there probably should be a Friends reference by now. Uh, I'm I'm looking up at when uh, when Seinfeld first premiered. I think the first episode of Seinfeld it's like ninety three or something. Well, I th- I think they did like the pilot, like the first three or four episodes or something like that was around nineteen ninety. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it's way early nineties, maybe even in the eighties. I'm not sure. It it may be like eighty nine into ninety or something like that. So yeah, why wasn't a nineties sitcom referenced in this movie? Any nineties sitcom, because they got the music right, they got the blockbuster right, they got the internet cafe right. I was like, I was partially right. Nineteen eighty nine, first episode, Seinfeld. Wow, yeah, dude, like that that is one thing that was missing from this, and I kept hoping that something like that would show up. Like like if if uh, if Veers put on. Uh, a, a, a shirt of some kind that was like one of the, the college shirts that they wore on the show, or if uh, if somebody put on a sweater vest and said, "Take off that sweater vest. You look like Chandler." You know, something like that. <laughs> yeah, you know, that would be cool. it, it there 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 were plenty of opportunities that just they didn't get utilized, and that that did disappoint me a little bit because with all those references, with all those pieces of nostalgia, comes. You know the responsibility to choose which ones you're actually going to to touch on. You know, what would be interesting is what if what if she comes back to Earth in Endgame and she starts? It's the opposite of of or maybe kind of similar to Captain America, where she starts making all these '90s references like they're modern references, like because she's been away all this time. And oh, she doesn't interesting. Know. And she doesn't know, like, yeah, yeah, Seinfeld and Friends, like, they went off the air years ago, and they're old references. But she's like, oh, yeah, you this or that, and she's trying to be cool, but she doesn't because, you know, and also the world ended. Well, but here's the deal. I think Friends is still pretty hip right now. Yeah, I, you're right. I, I can't, I can't speak be... for... Yeah. I... I think we've got a little bit of an internet delay, don't we, here? <laughs> a little bit. Sorry about that. Eh, it is what it is. Uh, but, I mean, I, I can't speak for Seinfeld, because I, I think it's a little bit more niche, but 
I, I do think that some of the older sitcoms are things that people are still making references to nowadays. With the advent of uh, Netflix and Hulu, people of my generation are going back and watching the shows that they were sent to bed for back in the day. You know, I, right. I remember hearing I remember hearing the Seinfeld theme and the transition theme, the do 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 do. I remember hearing that from my bedroom, and then like a couple of minutes later, hearing laughs from my parents. I, I remember them watching Seinfeld after I went to bed, but I don't remember watching it. I barely remember watching any episodes of Friends, and when I did, I didn't understand the references. If I did, I, you know, I, I think I would have lost my innocence a lot sooner. Because um, <laughs> the, the, those shows, man, they they make some really, really interesting uh, uh, references at times that uh, maybe those shouldn't be in a... Marvel movie or a family movie like uh, like a Marvel movie because yeah sheesh yeah, they were yeah. a little more on the adult side sometimes. Well, okay, real, real, real quick, I want to I want to touch on something a specific character or, or if you could call him a character, Goose. What did you think of Goose? <laughs> I as as soon as the poster for for Goose showed up. Like, like as soon as Goose showed up in one of the posters, even, I knew almost instantly he was going to have something to do with Fury's eye. Wow. Like, it wasn't even close for me. It, it wasn't, it, it wasn't some big surprise in my estimation. It wasn't some big reveal. I knew instantly that that line about Fury saying, last time I trusted somebody, I lost an eye. I knew, I knew that I knew that I knew it was going to come from that darn flirking cat. What I didn't know was that he was going to be an alien species. I did not see that coming. And, and seeing what he did during the final fight sequence was pretty hilarious. Because... You know, for for the longest time, Fury is just petting him and playing with him and thinking he's just a cat. And he's like, oh, well, if you're scared of a cat, then here. And he, like, shoves it in Talos' face and things like that. But then he – it's like Goose goes full Raftar on certain characters. Yeah. And there's just tentacles everywhere. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, okay. That's a, that's a thing. That is a thing. And it is happening. Apparently in the comics, and I'm assuming it's the same explanation for the movie, um – uh, the inside of Goose is like, like alternate dimensions and black holes and stuff like that. So that's why he can like just swallow up everything because he's essentially a black hole. Oh, interesting. <laughs> not your normal everyday house cat. Uh, definitely not. But if that were the case, then shouldn't other types of powers and stuff be able to come out of him at some point? I mean, like, I think I think we've only seen a small bit of Goose's potential, probably. I mean, he's, he's that be hairball. A, a, he he should have been with the Avengers. Where was he? Where was he in the Avengers, the first Avengers? He should have been up out there fighting with everybody. He he was coughing up an Infinity Gem as another hairball. <laughs> um, for me, I loved Goose. I loved the I loved the whole you know shtick of. You know, having a having a house. Oh, it's a cat. No, it's not a cat. Um, the only thing annoying about it was like you could. It was painfully obvious to see like what was real goose and what was CGI goose. Um, that was kind of 
and yeah. I wasn't too big fan of the CGI version of the cat, but you know, he's cute when he was real. Yeah, yeah, like how on earth do you do all this flight prep and not realize you've got a cat on board? <laughs> it's a stealthy cat. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. It's it's a big orange walking meowing blob of fur with tentacles How, for mouth with 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 tentacles for teeth apparently. How do you not recognize that you've got that kind of a stowaway before you go on what is quite possibly one of the biggest missions of your life? <laughs> and then you just turn around and you're just all casual like, "Uh-oh, we got a stowaway." Like I'm I would have been freaking out going, "What the heck are we supposed to do with this?" But no, you're you're just gonna you're just gonna take it out. Apparently, like yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm not I'm not dissing goose. I'm not dissing. Yeah, don't cats. you dare diss get diss goose. Don't you dare. I no, I'm not. I'm dissing the storytelling, and and again that goes back to the writing. I I get that you need goose to show up so that he can do his thing on the ship, but the way that he got there, calling him a stowaway. I think it would have been even funnier because you've already got great chemistry between Fury and Veers. Why not have Fury, like, carrying him onto the plane and then looking for, like, a chair that you can buckle him into or something? You know, because <laughs> yeah. there, there are some people that will do that, that will, like, buckle their pets into their car or something like that. And obviously Fury's crazy about this cat. So it would have been one of those crazy cat people moments where you're like, oh, you're buckling your cat into a plane. That's interesting. Like if if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, then go all the way. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I get it. But yeah, it, it uh I, I like the part where <laughs> they uh, muzzle him. And and you get another sweet '90s reference. He's he's a it's a cat, not Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> yep, yep. See, and that's what I thought we were gonna get with like a sitcom or something. It's so easy to reference a sitcom like that. I mean, the Orville did it. The Orville made an amazing Friends reference. But I digress. <laughs> I, you can tell that I'm really frustrated that yeah, the only yeah. time we've done a '90s piece, you didn't reference one of the most iconic '90s TV shows. Like, well, come you, on! <coughs> yeah, you find the lack of French references disturbing. I I do, I really do. If the if if a show like the Orville can do it, where you're being interrogated and they ask you, "Where are your friends?" and they're like, "Okay, I'll tell you." There's a little coffee shop in Soho called Central Perk. <laughs> and I, just, I remember. That. I lost it. I lost it from there. I was like, I'm not listening to anything else. It's just like, ah, I'm dying. <laughs> like, why didn't we have something like that? That would have made the movie for me, probably. And the fact that it's absent may be one of the reasons why I'm upset at it. I don't know. But, I, geez, let's let's talk about the chemistry <laughs> between Veers and Fury because uh-huh. that was something that I was super impressed by. You mentioned earlier that the two of them were friends doesn't surprise me one bit because nope. from the moment he's knocking on the payphone telephone booth which is another 90s reference hello who yeah. has a payphone anymore 
Yeah, not my town. Find a t- payphone if your life depended on it. No, if if you if you needed to find it, then uh, you know you'd be hard pressed. It would be it'd be really really tough. Uh, man, I, I think from that moment when he's like saying that she was dressed for laser tag and she tries to to play it off, all the way to the end of the film, the way the two of them play off of each other regarding powers regarding, you know, soldiers from the military, regarding their past, uh, regarding, you know, what things you need to keep confidential versus which things you can talk to people about. She's like, you know, I think when they go to Louisiana at one point, it's like, of course this doesn't exist, because if it did, we certainly would want to keep that a secret, wouldn't we? You know, something, <laughs> something like that. It's just... Yeah, there's still... he Fury's still in, you know alien mode where you know you can actually keep it a secret you know we're so used to the MCU where uh you know and aliens are a common occurrence yeah yeah they are and and maybe maybe that was one of the elements that they were trying to explore this was the idea of aliens being a new thing mm-hmm. but right. but what but what's weird is by the end of the movie fury's perspective wasn't about aliens it was about heroes and he right. said, we we found her and we weren't even looking for her. I bet if we look for her, we'll find more heroes that are like her. And I found that really interesting that by the end of this adventure, his perspective wasn't, oh my gosh, there's alien life out there. Like that's something yeah. that people are searching for all over the place, you know? Yeah. People are trying to find evidence of alien life and that's nothing to him compared to this idea of finding more superpowered people. Yeah, I, I love, like, you have his first line ever in the MCU is him talking to Tony Stark after he's broken into his house and goes, oh, you think you're the only superhero in the world? And, like, you think you're, he, at the time we thought he was talking about Steve Rogers. He was talking about Captain Marvel. Like, he probably that was. was, Captain Marvel was the first superhero he encountered. Um, I love the I love the moment where they're at the payphone and she blasts the the scroll that's trying to shoot at him, and Coulson and Fury both look at each other like, "Whoa, did you see her weapon? She didn't have she didn't have a gun." Um, and they're just totally bewildered. And we're used to, it, especially if you watch Agents of Shield, like you know, Coulson's been through all kinds of crazy stuff, um, and Fury has too. You know, especially when you get to the Avengers. Um, but it's nice to see both those characters, Coulson. Not enough Coulson in this movie. That 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 no, not that enough. I I will legitimately say that's a complaint for me. I wanted more Coulson. I was told Coulson was going to be in this movie, and the most Coulson we got was in the in the car scene, and he's not even there. He was it taken over by even, a scroll. It wasn't even Coulson, right? Yeah. It was it was a scroll that took over Coulson. So yeah, I mean Clark Gregg is such a talent that it was pretty much like a glorified cameo at this point. Yeah. And and that that was disappointing to see because he's he's such a talented actor and he's got so much potential. We've seen that in Agents of Shield. Like to have him there as a rookie as a recruit essentially was interesting, but you know, his his moment of glory was when he just said he didn't see anything and then kept going. Right. Like that that was pretty much his shining moment. But I did appreciate that they at least talked about him a little bit, like after the fact, when it was Fury and Danvers, they were like, yeah, he probably just doesn't hate me yet. 
you know, that kind of thing. Right. And you know that the two of them come to have like a long lasting mutual respect when he becomes the director of shield. I have a feeling like that kind of trusting your instincts and loyalty got rewarded. And that's why Coulson became such a prominent agent. I, and I feel like there's way more to Coulson's story in regards to like, because like he shows up in like Iron Man and he's in Avengers. He's not phased by any of this, like any no, aliens, not. like superheroes. He geeks out about it. He's a nerd and he loves them. Like he's 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 geeking out over like um, Captain America and wanting him to shot inside his cards. But like he's not necessarily like surprised by any of it. So I feel like, and he really wasn't exposed to Captain Marvel that much or the or the scrolls, aside from you know one impersonating him for briefly. But uh, so I feel like there's more to it. Maybe I'd love I'd love just like you had Nick Fury kind of playing opposite Brie Larson. This one maybe in the next Captain Marvel movie or even the next one we get another movie where it's set in the late '90s, early 2000s. But it's her and Coulson on an adventure somehow. That would be interesting to see. Uh, bringing bringing her back to Earth would also be really interesting because her appearance, like the way the, the way that she shows up uh, in the post credit scene, makes it look like this is her first time back on Earth, and she has no idea what's going on. Right. I, at least it at least it's been a while. Like it's been a good while, and she's like, okay, where's Fury? And you 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 get the impression that. Yeah, it's been since that moment, but I, I the way, uh, and we really haven't really talked about him yet on the, on tonight. But like, you have Monica Rambeau and and Maria back on Earth. I feel like that relationship wasn't too prominent in this movie, um, and I feel like there's a lot of potential there. But if you have her off in space, like you can't like really do much with that. So I would assume. At some point between Captain Marvel and Avengers Endgame, she's going to come back to Earth and have some kind of interaction with Maria. Um, and Monica Rambeau is like a future Captain Marvel, her own. Um, so she could she has a grow, to show grown up, up grown up version of her could show up. It could could even show up in Endgame. Who knows? I'm thinking you you need some kind of satisfaction about. You know, her coming back. Because for a while there, I thought it was going to stem from the leather jacket. And I had to go back and Uh watch the movie a second time just to confirm that that wasn't the case. Because when she's getting ready to leave on the big adventure, the the final battle, she says, you know, you hold on to that jacket uh, until I come back. And I thought that could mean, like, when she, like really really comes back like when she comes back in endgame and the way we recognize monica is by the leather jacket with a ketchup stain on it oh yeah you know i thought i thought that would have been like the way that we did it but then like right at the very end of the movie right before danvers takes off she puts the jacket back on and i was like son of a gun that would have been an awesome tie-in but i i feel like we definitely need to see Monica in in Endgame in some capacity. You you can't have Lieutenant Trouble not getting into trouble, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of potential there with those characters and bringing them back somehow. So I'm, I'm hoping for that. Um, I, I'm interested to see, like, what Captain Marvel 2 could be. You know, I, I think 
I think pre-Avengers Endgame would be cool. Um, who knows? Who knows? I, you know, we, we gotta, we gotta see Endgame first to even know, like, what could be after Endgame. Like, it's gonna be crazy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. What kind of things could we potentially see post-Endgame? Is she gonna decide that she needs to stick around and she, like, foregoes the rest of her mission? And then that's how the scrolls become the bad guys is they're now resentful that she left them behind to stay back on earth or something like that. Who knows? I mean, yeah, that um, could be, that could be the case. But, so like we we're assuming that she's been busy all these years. Like, what is she doing? And you know, she could have been in, something, in the middle of something really important when fury makes the call on the pager. Right. And so like, what, what ramifications does that have for whoever she was helping? And, you know, down the line, like, you know, like, hey, you, Captain Marvel, you left us when we needed you the most. Um, Now we're going to kill you or whatever. Right. Exactly. Like, I can just picture this big fight scene happening and she's kicking ass and taking names the way she does during this final fight sequence. But she's doing it in a capacity that, you know, defends the scrolls or something like that, helps them settle themselves on this new home world that's really dangerous and, and treacherous or what have you. And it's like a really, really big fight sequence along the lines of like Thor Ragnarok, you know, a huge scale fight for the world type situation. And her wrist ticker goes off and it's the pager. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have a conclusion to that fight sequence. You don't have a conclusion to that battle. And the movie ends with her rushing off to answer the endgame pager and leaving you with a cliffhanger here, not knowing what happens when she leaves. Right. Right. Like, I know that this is, I know this is all speculation, but I can picture that like so, so perfectly because it reminds me of stuff from the, um, the revenge of the Sith trilogy from the legends canon. I -hmm. think I could, I could be wrong. But I think the the book that uh, preludes the Revenge of the Sith novel, uh, what is it, Cloak of Deception? Is that what it's called? Um, that sounds right, yeah. I can't remember. It's got General Grievous on the cover. Yes. I honestly can't remember for the life of me. I'm pretty sure the it's book, Cloak of Deception. The, the, the book concludes with Anakin and Obi-Wan out in deep space Cato Neimoidia I want to say like they're far yeah, away yeah, from the inner they, core. I think I and, think in legends like they came from Cato Neimoidia from uh to go to Coruscant or something right that's the thing is the book ends with them getting a distress signal saying that they need to return to Coruscant ASAP and it's funny that's it happened, ties... that happens again in the Clone Wars micro series Maybe that's where I got it from. That could be it. I haven't and, seen the and, and, in a long time. I, I don't want to spoil it, but something similar happens in the Clone Wars series, or will happen. Okay, now, you, now you're just flat out rubbing it in that you've got insider information. No, that's public information. That's public information. <laughs> Go Google okay, it. Okay, okay. Google it. Dave Filoni d- let all that out of the bag a long time ago. I, nothing, I promise. I, I, it is spoilery, but it's not secret. But see that that's a, that the precedent is there, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, of course. The, the the precedent is absolutely there for something really important to be happening in another part of the galaxy, and your hero gets a distress signal and has to leave the moment in order to go tend to another big moment somewhere else. 
like say say for example we get we have Captain Marvel, we have Avengers Endgame comes out and we we see her do what she does in Endgame. We don't know where she came from. Then come back for Captain Marvel 2 and it's all about her out in space dealing with all that kind of stuff. And maybe the post-credit scene is her leaving, her getting the call, leaving to go find Fury. And then that ultimately, and we see the reaction to whoever, maybe it's the scrolls. Maybe she's helping out the scrolls, and the scrolls, like, she leaves them, and then, like, a bunch of them get killed or whatever, like, or massacred or whatever, and right. maybe it's Talos or whatever, and he's like, oh, Captain Marvel, you betrayed us. You know, we're going to have revenge on you. And then five years later, we get Avengers 5, and Talos comes back with an army of scrolls, and he's going to secret invasion. I don't know. That's just wild speculation. But I think there's there's plenty of plenty of options they have to do that. I am very open to any speculation that brings Ben Mendelsohn back into the fold. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Talos fighting the Avengers? Can you imagine, like in an Avengers movie, Avengers Five or whatever? Like, well, how here's awesome the thing. would that be? He's talented enough. To, you know, as we've seen, he's talented enough to take on the form of any Avenger. Right. So he could potentially take on the forms of the Avengers that maybe don't have superpowers, the likes of, you know, Black Widow or Hawkeye. Uh, I don't really consider Captain America to be like somebody with powers necessarily. He, he's, he's just got he, a whole bunch of steroids. Have, he does have powers, but he could... Like, if someone wanted to pose Captain America, they could fake it. Like, he doesn't shoot... Right. He doesn't shoot fire from his fingertips like Captain Marvel does. Um, right. So, so that's, like... That's they, what I'm getting at, is, is there's, there's plenty right. of people to imitate. Like, I don't think they, could, they couldn't do, like, Bruce Banner. Like, they couldn't, they couldn't take him because it would be pretty obvious. Like, hey, you can't turn into the Hulk or whatever. Um, but could... That's the thing. If... Could a scroll take the form of Bruce Banner and then take the form of the Hulk. That'd be the interesting part. I I don't really know. That 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 does cause for some but speculation. I just I feel like I feel like we're going to get that stinger at like the end of an Avengers movie where it's like, "Oh, somebody Hawkeye's a scroll and oh my gosh, you know, I wouldn't even expect you know Endgame maybe to have that. I don't know. Um I feel like it's too early cuz I feel like they they've kind of Again, written themselves into a corner with the the scrolls being the good guys, but uh, turning that back around and kind of going, oh, by the way, um, you know, Natasha Romanoff was a scroll, and and like she's been a scroll for all this time, and apparently through the the, the rules in the comics, like some scrolls can be someone else and not even know they're a scroll. They think they are the person that they're they're impersonating. It's weird. So you could in theory, lose Natasha Romanoff in, say, Endgame. Right. She dies in combat and shapeshifts back to her original form. Right. Or, like, and, or, like, you can have an example where, like, someone, it could be implied that one of the Avengers has been a scroll for, like, a bunch of movies. Like, just for example, I don't think this is the case, but, like, Tony Stark. Like, Tony Stark has been a scroll all this time. And they somehow they got the real Tony Stark back in Civil War, and they just took him and they replaced him with a scroll, and he's been 
um, whatever scroll is for this whole time. He's kind of sleep raging or whatever, and they're waiting for their chance to attack. I don't know. I don't think that's the case. That's definitely not the case. But something like that could happen. So here's an interesting observation that I'm making now. I'm up for our an specu- interesting observation. Our speculation about stuff outside of the movie has gone on a bit more than our conversation about the movie itself. And that's true. And I think that is inherently the problem with Captain Marvel. I'm not saying that it's a bad problem, but it's it's the consequence of the way Captain Marvel was created. I think that's the best way to put it. It's the it's the consequence of putting Captain Marvel in this point in the universe because you're now interested in seeing how Ronan got to be where he is. So you go back and watch the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. You're now interested in seeing uh, Nick Fury talking about the last time he trusted someone, he lost an eye. So you're going back and watching the movie when he said that. That was the first Avengers, wasn't it? Yes. You, so you're going back and watching the first Avengers movie so that you can laugh at the Goose reference. And you're you're watching Winter Soldier because now that you know that the scrolls are out there, they could pull a Hydra. And you want to go back and watch what happens to Hydra. When you're watching origin stories, you know, the first movie of everybody, you're going back and watching the first Avenger, you're going back and watching Iron Man, you're going back and watching Black Panther, all these first-timer movies – You're looking at them and seeing how character origins came to be, the first Thor movie. And you're looking at them and seeing how they relate to Captain Marvel, which, by the way, in my opinion, Captain Marvel is the best origin movie we've got in the MCU. But you're now making those kinds of comparisons. It is a hot take. It It is a very hot take. I enjoyed Black Panther. But I think the story that we got was better executed in Captain Marvel than it was in just about any other MCU origin movie that we've gotten. Captain Marvel has the edge, I think, simply because it turns the entire genre of like superhero origin movies on its head. You're not, you're not starting with her childhood or she's just a normal person and... She gets her powers, and it goes through the thing of her learning her powers. We get the origin story at the end of this movie. Like, right. That's what I like about this is that it just starts out. She is who she is. She's Veers. She's a part of this Kree team, and it unravels from there. I think that's what makes you know Captain Marvel strong is that. Um, the other part of it is the cast. And I think without those two things, the movie kind of falls apart to me personally. I don't think it's terrible by any means. I don't the script's terrible, but it's not like super, super strong. I think what holds it together really is the cast, the chemistry that the cast has, um, Brie Larson's performance, Sam Jackson's performance, all of those guys, and you know the fact that this is, by structure and by nature, it's a different kind of superhero origin film, which is a pre- which I appreciate them doing because it's been done to death. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I agree. It, it's interesting getting a six-year origin for somebody who's in her 20s, you know? Right. She, she's, ha- she's had this gap of only six years, but a lot 
has happened in six years. There's been a lifetime of different, of change, of out there that is just so, I, I don't even know, encompassing that you need an entire movie just to try and figure out what's been happening to her over these last six years. And, you know, compared comparing that to uh, looking at Steve Rogers, for example. Right. You know, that is that is that is a lot to look at going from from shrimp to macho, that kind of thing. Uh, You have moments, very brief moments in these flashback sequences where you're looking at, um, you know, when she's training and she's on the rope. You know, it reminded me of of Steve Rogers training in the army. Yeah. You have moments yeah. where she's on the go-karts and she falls over. You know, it's like the kid flashbacks that you usually get from a movie, but they're very brief. Um, there, There's a lot of sequences like that, but they're interwoven. And, and I loved the way that they were interwoven at the very end of the film because the Supreme Intelligence is trying to reveal to her that she's not all that, that she's not important, that she's just going to keep getting knocked down. And no matter what, we're going to keep her there. We're going to keep you down. And it's like her big moment of truth comes about when she's finally able to read those flashbacks herself instead of having them revealed. And when she reads them herself, when they come back to her naturally, she realizes, yes, I did get knocked down. And that's what the intelligence keeps showing me. But what it doesn't show me is that every time I get knocked down, I also get back up. Right. And that is such an empowering story. That is one of the most empowering elements of the entire movie is this recognition that any time the world knocks you down and any time your subconscious tries to remind you of what a terrible human being you are, you just need to remember that every time you were down, you got back up again. And that's how you got here in the first place. Right. And I, I loved, I loved, I loved that element of her story. Yeah, I, I think that's great. I, I love the characterization of Captain Marvel just overall. I think she's a great character. I think she's a, she's a smart character. I think when you, when you do these things with like characters losing their memory, not knowing who they are, it can get a bit cringy in a way because I think there, it's very easy it's funny I was thinking today like this movie is set in the 90s but if I think if it had been made in the 90s you would have had a Captain Marvel that was like ditzy like was kind of dumb in a way and was like oh I don't know who I am and was like in denial about like her true purpose and who she is and you know, Nick Fury would have been the kind of the one like, hey, no, no, this is it, this is it, this is who you are. It's her. She's the one that figures it all out, and she's not in denial about it. When she she finds that picture in the base of her with Marvel, like she's she, from that point on, she realizes, okay, something's off. I know that the Kree have been lying to me, and they've been holding this stuff from me. I appreciated that because it can be really frustrating sometimes when characters are just 
just do stupid stuff or just like are dense and won't like accept the truth when someone's trying to tell them something or like the the truth is right in front of their face. It's a weird thing, but um, I appreciate that like, she's a smart, capable character. She figured all that stuff on her own and she made her own choices in the end. I think that was what I appreciated that she wasn't just this character. It was kind of long for the ride. She was the master of her own story and she ultimately unraveled the mystery. Right, right. She solves the mystery to her own story instead of somebody solving it for her. Exactly. That that was a, a very refreshing thing. Instead of, you know, a big reveal or something like that or a, or a big uh, revelation or, or a big monologue from a villain or something like that, it wasn't it wasn't anything that was given to her. It was it was a time of discovery for her. Mm-hmm. And I, I did appreciate that. What I what I did have a little bit of trouble with, admittedly, was the um the attempts at humor early in the film. Because it was like she was trying to be sarcastic, but it wasn't being very well received and there's there's one point where um they're getting ready for their mission i think it was they're about to leave for the mission and yonrog walks in and just points to her and says knock it off (laughs) as if she's got this reputation for being a troublemaker and everything else that we saw about her after that didn't really strike me like that it really it really didn't strike me as oh she's a troublemaker oh she's super sarcastic she's a little uh bullheaded perhaps because yonrog told her to stay put and she didn't stay put but i just don't know if that was something that was consistently placed throughout her character yeah yeah in uh yeah it's interesting i i just uh yeah, I, I don't know. Like I said, the, er, the the stuff with her and Yonrog and the other Kree stuff was just kind of eh. It's kind of like just there. It wasn't there wasn't a whole lot to it, which I I would have loved to have seen more of those characters and kind of the interplay between her and because like he's been working with these guys for a long time, but you know you don't get much in the way of like understanding what that dynamic was like. Yeah, I mean, I think they were trying to instill, like, an Obi-Wan-Anakin kind of vibe, but they didn't dedicate enough time for us to really appreciate that relationship, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. In the similar way that Anakin and Obi-Wan are kind of glossed over in some way in Star Wars previews. Yeah, that's true. Um, that that is friendship, true. Um, which, you know, kind of sucks. But, uh, anyway. But at, anyway. Least, at least we had the Clone Wars TV show to kind of help expand on that a bit. That That is true. Very true. Okay, well, we're going to go to commercial break for just a minute here. On the other side of it, we're going to wrap up our discussion by talking about favorite character, favorite moment, and our overall final thoughts. So we'll see you all in just a second here on the flip side as we finish up our discussion of Captain Marvel.
Greetings, this is Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I have drifted into the underworld. The Star Wars underworld. I have a bad feeling about this. Hey y'all, this is Ben Hart here. I know y'all just heard me on the IPC talking all things geeky and fun. Now I'm here to tell y'all about my other podcast. It's called The Star Wars Underworld, about all things Star Wars. We talk Star Wars The Clone Wars, Star Wars The Force Awakens, Star Wars Last Jedi, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and so much more. I record it with my friends Chris and Dominic, who are here to tell y'all all about it. Hello, Chris. Hello, Ben. I'm so excited to talk about Star Wars this week. It's fun. It's funny. We're going to have a great time. Hey, guys, I am so nostalgic for mall packaging, and I love being on the Star Wars Underworld podcast talking all the latest Star Wars news. Well, now that y'all had a little taste of the show and you know what to expect, you should check out more episodes by going to StarWarsUnderworld.com or by searching for the show on the iTunes, the Apple Podcast, the Google Play, and all sorts of things. And may the Force be with y'all. It's a wrap, eh? back here now to finish up our discussion of Captain Marvel. Uh, maybe do a little bit of speculating on her role in Endgame based on some stuff that's been revealed to us on the Twitterverse uh, already. But, uh, Ben, I, I have an idea of who your favorite character is, <laughs> but uh, let's just let's just make it official. Who did you enjoy the most out of this movie? Oh, man. it's it's You know what? It's hard to say because I think... There's a lot of some characters didn't get nearly enough screen time, aka Coulson. Even I would even say the the the, the Rambo's like the, you know the mother and daughter. Like I thought they were mm-hmm. pretty well pretty well acted, pretty well casted, but they didn't get a whole lot of like shaking out with that. They got a good moments towards the end, but like you know I, I could have taken a lot more with them. Um, and I hope they're back in the sequels. Um, I'm gonna go with Goose. I'm gonna go with Goose. <laughs> Gotta love that. Gotta love that cat. Oh uh, yeah, I definitely saw that coming. I definitely saw that coming. Uh, not surprisingly, not surprisingly at all. But uh, it, it's really hard for me because I could go with the with the cliche of someone like Danvers or Nick Fury or something like that, or I could go really out there with Mendelssohn because I I thought. Talos kind of stole the show, going uh-huh. from being somebody expected to be a villain to turning into somebody that was a victim that's out to just take care of his family. Uh, I feel like that was a really great story arc. 
and uh, Mendelssohn as an actor played all of the different parts and voices and stuff very well. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Talos. I think I think I Good liked choice. the I, I think I really really liked Talos in the way that that his story influenced everybody else's story. But a very close second would be all the chemistry that is built between Brie Larson and Samuel L. Jackson. The two of them fed off of each other extremely well in this movie. I oh, love yeah. it. Oh yeah. That was that that's the, the relationship that carried the movie. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. Okay, so then favorite moment. Hard to pick just one, isn't it? It is. Oh man, it's uh I want to say uh, one of my favorite moments is the quarter of the night tonight, which we'll get to. Um, another would be just kind of the moment, just anything with Talos and, and Goose, like any moment wherein they're like, <laughs> like, like you know they they realize that Talos is 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 afraid of them, like get the thing away, like you know they keep shoving it in his face, and you know mm-hmm. going back to the moment of like. You know, you really shouldn't have that thing in your in your lap. Like it's he's so he's so freaked out by it because he knows what it's capable of. He knows what Goose is. He, they don't. Yeah, it's like he's the first one to recognize who and what this creature is, and they're all just like, "Eh, it's just a cat. It's no big deal." And it's like, um, no, it kind of is a big deal. Hello, <laughs> you need to wake up just a little bit, please. Yeah, but um. You know what? Before I talk about my favorite moment, this is probably my second favorite moment. So it, this this gives a little bit of credence because we're going to be talking about your favorite moment in Quote of the Night, and then this was kind of like, what, a number two? Yeah, probably so. Okay, so my, my number two then, if we're going to do our two favorites, um, one of my, I think my second favorite one was anything that has to do with the Tesseract and the Happy Days lunchbox. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That alone was hilarious. Because Happy Days is a show that I pretty much grew up on. So I I loved that little subtlety there. And then I also really appreciated that you get to reference the uh the Tesseract in this that that turns out to be the engine core that everybody is so sought after. And it makes sense. It fits within the scope of everything else that goes on in the universe. But it was just rather unexpected, at least for me, for them to make that kind of a direct reference to uh, the war to end all wars or or the the element that would end all wars, whatever it may be. Um, Having the Tesseract in this movie was a really solid addition because it, again makes you want to go back and watch previous movies that it exists in and what the evolution of that of that uh, device is now. Yeah, we've literally uh, we've literally seen in... their, the whole story of the Tesseract, but now we got another piece of it. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like the Tesseract got an origin story too, a little bit, which is interesting. Right. Um, so I, I loved getting to see it, and I loved getting to um, see the Happy Days lunchbox. I thought that that inclusion was pretty hilarious. Uh, but my favorite scene. And I know that this is going to be rather obscure, but it actually ties in to one of my other favorite movies. And I know that I know that I know this is in reference to this movie just because when I watched it a second time today, I was like, this is undeniably like this other movie. Captain Marvel makes a very indirect Toy Story reference. 
Oh. When Veers crashes into the blockbuster and she tries to contact her ship, she goes, Veers to Star Force Command. Do you read oh, me? Oh, oh, dang, I did not catch that. Oh, it gets better. It gets better because when she goes outside, she sees a security guard. Somebody who maybe has a little bit of authority, but not the authority to represent the entire region or the entire planet or whatever. Much like Buzz's first interaction with Woody. Wow. She comes up to this security officer and she's like, are you in charge of security for this region? And he's just like, uh, kind of. The movie theater has their own guy, but yeah. <laughs> like it's it's almost like what happens when Buzz meets Woody is like local law enforcement. It's about time you showed up. I'm Buzz Lightyear, Space Ranger. I'm Veers, Star Force Command. You know, it's like the parallels are uncanny. The only thing we're missing, like even then, she asks, "Do you have communication equipment?" And he points her to a payphone. <laughs> In Toy Story, Buzz asks them, do you people have, uh, I need to repair my servo boosters, do you people still use fossil fuels or have you discovered crystallic fusion? And Woody answers, well, uh, we got double A's. <laughs> it's like the half-ass results kind of thing. And using a payphone is also kind of the half-ass result of communications equipment. Like, yeah, you tried, but you didn't try very hard. And yet she still found a way to make it work. But the whole Veers to Star Force Command, do you read me? I was like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You did not just make a Toy Story reference. But yeah, they did. <laughs> I love it. I did not catch any of that. That's great. I didn't catch it until my second time around, which is why I feel like uh, Captain Marvel is an acquired taste. Because sometimes your favorite elements some of your favorite things about the movie, you won't even see or recognize until the second time through. Wow. There, there's, there's a lot about this movie to, to look at and examine and come to understand, and I did a little bit better job of that uh, this second time around, but I do think watching it with people and I think watching it multiple times is something that helps this movie because another thing that I didn't notice until the second time around, they're in Louisiana during her big moment, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. When she realizes everything that's going on, she steps out of the house and out into this open field and there's like trees and a sunset and everything. And it's like very inspirational. And you've got some subtle music playing underneath it while they're trying to help her, you know, with self discovery. But the other thing that they've got going on, cicadas buzzing in the background yeah. on a summer night in Louisiana. That 100% happens. And if they were shooting on location, then maybe they couldn't help it. But the fact that you've got it at all just makes it feel super accurate and super real. And I, I very much enjoyed that aspect. Yeah, yeah. And as someone who lives in very close proximity to Louisiana, I can say that wa that was Louisiana. Yeah, we we're we're both uh -huh. witnesses to that. Like you know, that's that's what Louisiana looks like. That's a that's about as Louisiana as Louisiana gets, which is really, really cool. 
I didn't um, see where they shot it, but I know that I was Louisiana because I, you, you I know, don't know that I don't know the town. No, right, somewhere out in the uh, middle, of, middle of nowhere in the swamp. Real quick, one other location before we get to final thoughts: Pegasus Base. Mm-hmm. Turns into an Avengers headquarters, does it not? Does it? Isn't that what it was? What? What? Where? Does it appear elsewhere? I thought that was the base that the Tesseract was being held in in the first Avengers movie. I did not get that impression, but I'm going to do some research right now and make sure and see. Um, I I could be mistaken, but the way it was in such an open desert area and the the way that you had to drive through it and and basically drive really deep into it just to get to a parking space the the big main hangar area where you could keep the quinjets and stuff like that it looked very similar the fact that you had all these different sublevels that you could get down to there were a lot of sublevels that they had to travel down in order to get to the sub basement where the tesseract was being kept and i thought it was a way of tying things together because you're seeing Fury show up at, at Project Pegasus uh, in this movie, and then that base is the one that gets destroyed in the Avengers movie. It's like the base now has a semblance of closure because you see it pretty much in its prime back in the 90s, and then you get to the first Avengers movie, and everything about the security of this place, everything about the different levels and sub-levels of this place suddenly mean nothing now because Loki destroyed it. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the MCU wiki right now. There seems to be no indication that those two locations are the same. Uh, I have a hard time believing that there's two locations that look that similar, though. Yeah. I, I, I could be completely wrong and out of left field, though, but the first time I watched it, I got some serious impressions of that S.H.I.E.L.D. base. And, again... I may have to go back and watch the original Avengers now because, you know, we just did our Avengers commentary here on the show a few weeks ago. And that wasn't even something that was on my radar because I hadn't seen Captain Marvel yet. But now, because of Captain Marvel, I want to go back and watch the Avengers again. And that's the effect that Captain Marvel has on you. This movie, I believe, inspires me to go back and watch more movies in the MCU than any other MCU movie does. Not even an Avengers movie that leads up to, you know, watching all the Phase 1 movies that leads up to the first Avengers, not even watching all the Phase 2 movies, on and on and on. I don't think there's any movie out there that makes enough references and and has enough subtleties in it that would make me want to go back and watch as many other MCU movies as Captain Marvel does. Yeah, because... Well, I mean, chronologically, this is the second MCU movie. Right. It's the second in the timeline, and, uh, you know, it has a lot of references. And it's, it's, what, the 2021st movie in this saga. Um, You know, you now can have all those references. And going back, of course you're going to make all those references, and it does, you know, down to Tesseract showing up, all this, you know, Nick Fury being younger. Um, yeah, so I think, yeah, it definitely is kind of a love letter to the MCU. Oh, I absolutely think so. Absolutely. Um, so what are your final thoughts on this love letter then? So my final thoughts 
are, uh, you know, I like the movie. I really enjoyed it. I think it's it's a strong first chapter for, for Captain Marvel's story. And I think, you know, the charisma that Brie Larson showed, um, the, just the, the, the characterization she brought to the character, characterization she brought to the character, that's an interesting statement there. Um, she, uh, just how she played it off and how natural she was. And, like, I, I didn't feel that she was, I, I noticed the people online going like, oh, she was wooden or whatever. I didn't get that at all. I, I thought she was very natural in the role. She was very, um, very witty sometimes. I, I thought she really did it well. And so I'm looking forward to Endgame even more now because I'm looking forward to her bouncing off of the other Avengers um, and having a whole lot of more relationships and, and possibly kissing Thor because that's apparently going to happen. The internet has decided it. But, uh, um, so, and then I just think overall, really strong outing for Captain Marvel. And, you know, the cast is great. Nick Fury was great. Sam Jackson. Um, Goose was great, you know, Ben Mendelsohn was great, <laughs> like, there's so many great things, like, I, I have my issues with the movie, of course I do, like, it's not, just, it's not my favorite Marvel movie of all time, it's not up there, and, and, you know, a lot of people, like, I've heard people say this is their favorite Marvel movie, I, I, I don't see that, I don't, you know, I'm not in that camp, um, but I definitely did not hate it, and I think it probably exceeded my expectations because they were pretty low to begin with, um, so, you know, I, uh, I really, really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to watching it again. I, I'm, I'm kind of envious of you, because you got to see it again, and I, you know, and I want to, get every chance to get, you know, experience these things in the, in the theater and watch them, so, um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Ooh, I just found a new TV spot about Endgame. Yeah, there's a new one that came out today, I think. I've been, I've been watching March Madness while we've been talking and this Endgame teaser just came on. Hold on. I'm going to like, I'm going to, I'm going to do like my first live reaction to this because, oh my gosh, what is this? Let's time it up. Let's just, let's just play it right now. Let's, let's watch it and I'll add the audio in later. I I literally just found this like just now. I don't think I've watched fully myself. Hold on. I, okay. Uh, I, I can't get it exactly, but I'm at the part where it says Marvel Studios is like dissolving. All right. Well, so, I'll I'll get in the area and then we'll just go. Hold on a second. I'll, I'll pull it I'll, up. I'll figure it out. In game? No, not that one. I want the one from today. Can't find anything on the internet. There's too much stuff on the internet. The internet has way too much stuff. Uh, too much. It's just too many things. Uh, but yeah, dude. Like I told you guys uh, back at Christmas time that my uh, my Christmas present was a 32-inch curved monitor that I can hook up my my little laptop computer to. And uh, I've been using it for show notes and audio recordings and things like that. Uh, But today, I decided I was going to bring up as many March Madness games as I could. And they basically had four games on four channels, and now it's down to three games on three channels. And I've just been watching March Madness endlessly (laughs) while talking on the show. Um... I'm getting really, really close to having 28 out of the 32 games picked correctly, which I am super stoked about. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I am ready to play this thing if you are. Okay. Uh, We'll go on one then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three, two, one. Oh, that Marvel logo. Damn. World is in our hands. We got to do something with it. World is in our hands. 
Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Is that Frisco? I don't know. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Yeah. Whew. I'm still not a fan of the white suits. Really? I like them I, okay, I don't. I guess. I don't I don't understand the purpose of the white uniforms. The, the whole point of the Avengers was originality. All these different people coming together for a common purpose, a common cause and and doing something to make a difference in the world. Having everybody in a uniform like that is just very cliché and comic booky. Um but I, I think I think it's going I think there's a very specific reason for them. I won't get into spoilers or potential spoilers, but I think there's a very very specific reason that they're all wearing the same costume. I still don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That may be a bit of a hot take. I'm not trying to be rude to you. I just, I don't care for it. No. no I don't care for it. I don't like it. And I did like that line about the world being in our hands, though. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it, I don't know if it got me, like, quote unquote, more or less excited for the movie. I think I'm about as peaked as my excited can get. Now I just need to sit back and enjoy it. So, uh, April 26th. Can't get here soon enough. I know you feel yep. that way too. Yup, yup, yup. Um, okay, so have you, cho- have, you, have you shared your final thoughts? I have not. I'll go ahead and, and go into that, and then uh, we can each give our planet scores, all I suppose. Right, all right. Um, for me, I still believe, even after all this discussion, I still believe that this is an acquired taste. And I'm still acquiring its taste, in my opinion. I don't. I don't think I've captured everything that this movie has to offer, uh, but I also don't feel like it's so complicated that you have to dissect it in order to enjoy it. Like you can just go and watch and enjoy it for what it is without having to worry about the MCU implications or anything. Like I said, it is probably the best character origin story that we've gotten. In the MCU, I, I I put it right up there with Iron Man's origin. I really mm. do, mm. and um, that I know that's I know that's probably a hot take for some, but I I really like Danvers's character. I like the people that she's uh, got herself surrounded by. Uh, she's got a lot better connections and friend base than Tony Stark does. You know, he's got Pepper and he's got Jarvis. That's about it. But you know. Um, Marvel, Captain Marvel pretty much has uh, an entire family that is out there helping her and supporting her, which is really cool. And so I liked the supporting cast a lot. I think they really enhanced the experience. They really enhanced the movie. And I like the adventure that we went on. It sets the stage for a lot more adventures and uh, makes me want to go back and go on some other MCU adventures as well. Mm -hmm. So... All in all, a very solid movie, and I'll go on record saying that I enjoyed it more than Black Panther. Wow, and I think I think I did. I don't know. I don't know. I think I did too. I think I enjoyed this one a bit more than Black Panther too. Like, I, you know, I thought Black Panther was good. I think even in some ways, Black Panther is a stronger film. Black Panther had more to do in, in regards to setting up a whole another civilization and all this kind of stuff. Like. That was interesting stuff. The music was great, but uh, 
yeah, I think Captain Marvel as just a character, I think I like more. That's very fair. That's very fair. Okay, so how would you rate this movie out of 10 then? I I will give it a solid 8. I think I think that I think that's as that's I think that's as fair as I'm gonna be. No, I I think that's very fair. In fact, my first time through, uh, I was probably on the verge of giving it an eight. Uh, I was I was very very close to that. But at the same time, you know, going back through it a second time and, and experiencing some other things about it helped me realize that. I'm I can't be like too quick to judge. I don't feel like it's flawless by any means. Oh. Like we talked about some of those flaws tonight, um, but I I don't I don't feel like it's necessarily an eight out of ten. But I don't feel like I enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed other movies in the MCU that I've rated at eight point five or nine or something like that. So if I'm gonna if I'm gonna hold true to my ratings and say that I enjoyed it more than Black Panther. I have to give it above an 8 because that's what I gave Black Panther. I gave Black Panther an 8 out of 10, which back in that day was kind of a hot take. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me, I'm going to have to put it somewhere between an 8 and an 8.5, which would be an 8.3. Nice. Nice. Fair enough. So if you're listening live on channel1138.com, go ahead and send us your planet scores as well, your rating out of 10. Uh, If you're on social media, just go ahead and find us on social media and tell us what you thought of Captain Marvel. We'll keep the conversation going on there. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, anything else that uh, can use the hashtag IPC podcast or just find us at IPC podcast. Oh, hey, there's the teaser again on another channel. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I saw the Endgame teaser again. That was interesting. But yeah, go find us on social media at IPC Podcast and tell us your planet score. We'll post a prompt on uh, on the Facebook page at least, probably on the Twitter page as well, and uh, mm-hmm. see what your rating out of 10 is for this movie, and we'll add it to our percentage database. Yes. Uh, but I think it's time to play your favorite scene. Yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you take the reins on this because you're the one that enjoyed it so much. Although truth be told, I enjoyed it a lot too. <laughs> I think we both agree this was a pretty darn good one. It's a great scene, um, and I, I think if you, once you hear it, you should know. But for anyone who needs a setup, um, basically this is the scene in the diner where you have, you know, uh, you know, Nick Fury has tracked Captain Marvel, or maybe vice versa, um, to this bar, and uh, you know they're. Uh, Captain Marvel is, of course, trying to uh, prove that Nick Fury is a scroll, a scroll or, or basically they're both trying to figure out if the other is a scroll, and, and she goes through the process of that and, uh, you know, takes some convincing for both of them, and, and Nick Fury is learning all the way about this new alien thing. So, um, without further ado, here is tonight's Quote of the Night. Oh, oh. you want to get personal. Where were you born? Huntsville, Alabama, but technically I don't remember that part. Name your first pet. Mr. Snoofers. Mr. Snoofers. That's what I said. Did I pass? Not yet. First job? Soldier. Straight out of high school. Left the ranks of full bird colonel. Then? Spy. Where? It was the Cold War. We were everywhere. Uh, Belfast, Bucharest, Belgrade, Budapest. I like the bees. I can make them ride. Now? Been riding the desk for the past six years, trying to figure out where our future enemies are coming from. Never occurred to me they would be coming from above. 
Name a detail so bizarre a scroll could never fabricate it. A toast is cut diagonally, I can't eat it. You didn't need that, did you? No, no I didn't, but I enjoyed it. Okay, your turn. Prove you're not a scroll. It's a photon blast. And? A scroll cannot do that. I'm just supposed to take your word for that. I really feel bad for the bar owner. She destroyed his jukebox. Yeah, it was time for a new one. <laughs> it's the 90s, not the 60s. Get rid of the jukebox. Exactly. Although, jukeboxes are apparently still a thing. Yeah. They, they've just taken on a different form. They're, they're, called, they're uh, called the music app on your iPhone. Well, yeah, okay, yeah. But I've been to some places that are like Tex-Mex bars and grills and stuff like that. Um, and you can basically put a song on request to play on the radio at the bar. Yes, yes. And also, I believe there's a place called, I think this is where I've seen this before, um, Johnny Rockets. Have you ever heard of that? I have heard of Johnny Rockets, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure Johnny Rockets used to have a system where they'd have, like, a little jukebox on your table, and you could, you could like, put a quarter in and request a song. Yeah, I've seen that. I've I've seen that. And um, there's there's some... uh, There's there's another one that's, like, a a similar 50s-style diner, kind of like Johnny Rockets is, that uh, instead of putting in coins to keep it operating, you basically either install the app or you swipe your card. Ah, uh, okay. So if you want to buy like a hundred songs, you can put you swipe your credit card. Basically, I mean, even... Here's the stupid thing. Even arcades around here are now on a card swiping system. You go, wow. you go to a place like Round One Entertainment or Main Event or... Alley Cats or Putt-Putt or something like that. You know, there's all these different arcade-style places around here. And there were some that were still token-based. I can't speak for Chuck E. Cheese because I haven't been to Chuck E. Cheese in a long time. But a lot of the times, if you want to play a game, it'll cost you points on a swipe card instead of costing you tokens. So I used to be able to play a game for, like, two tokens or something like that, you know? And I stood a chance at winning, like, 100, 150, 500 tickets, depending on what game I was playing. And now I swipe my card for 2.39 out of my 100 points that I've got on my card. And they literally nickel and dime you the way your debit card or a Visa gift card will if you're making actual purchases. But they do it at the arcade now. It's ridiculous. I will give credit. There is one arcade near me where it's huge arcade, and they have a lot. It's brand new. It's got a lot of amazing games in it. And you get a card. You can actually just go to a kiosk. There's no like counter. You just go to a kiosk. You put in your card. They you buy however many um, credits you want, and they give you the card in the in the out of the box. And you go to each game and you collect virtual tickets that you can then spend in the store. Okay. So they don't even print off actual tickets anymore. No, no, it's all card based. You keep your card and then you can just keep coming back and building up tickets to one maybe one day because it's like the good stuff is like 5000 tickets to get like anything decent. 
Yes. And you gotta you probably say take five years to you know spend to build up that much. Yeah, that's that's true. I mm, man, it's, fun, it's 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 such a racket. It's it's such a racket. <laughs> but you're right. It's 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 pretty fun. Um, jeez, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think. Can you can you see the section that's uh, underneath our quote of the night section? Yes, I can. Uh, I'm trying to fill that in. Maybe if you can help me uh, fill some of this in before we get to that segment. Oh, uh, I see what you're doing. While while I'm while I'm waiting, uh, this stuff we're gonna we're gonna save. I'm just gonna we're gonna do this uh, for this week, okay. and then this will be this will be other weeks. Oh, interesting. So, so while while Ben's helping me with that, and while we keep things a little bit of a mystery, um, I'm just going to give a quick thank you to all of our patrons who help contribute financially to the show. Joey Mays, Jake Damon, Rachel Perry, Dan Grievous, and Parker Ott. You guys keep us uh, afloat. You give us our subscription to Podbean, which is where we upload all of our shows for you guys. And uh, you are the ones that uh, make all of this possible, uh, among all our loyal listeners, but... Uh, you guys are the super loyal ones who have been with us for a long time, and we greatly appreciate everything that you've done, both uh, behind the microphone and, I guess, behind your card. If you're interested in supporting IPC financially, you can become a patron at patron.podbean.com forward slash IPC podcast. And be sure to follow IPC podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at IPC podcast. You can listen to episodes at ipcpodcast.podbean.com. Dot com p o d b e a n pod as in podcast bean as in green bean ipc podcast dot podbean dot com we also publish to itunes and google play as well as subscribing uh episodes to star wars underworld dot com the official site for breaking news rumors release dates casting announcements and anything else from the galaxy far far away and be sure to listen to the SWU on thursday nights you can find us personally on social media at Zach, Z-A-C underscore D-F-W. And you can find Ben on Twitter and Instagram as well at Ben Hart with no E. Mm-hmm. Whew. I'm running out of breath yeah, here, you, man. You did it, though. You're doing good. I got it. I got it all. I got it all done. Oh, no. I almost forgot one. <laughs> IPC swag. Oh, yeah. Which... It's finally the type of weather that I can actually wear some IPC swag because it's like T-shirts and baseball shirts and stuff like that. Um, it's finally getting to spring weather. We had the first day of spring this week, which is awesome. Happy first day of yeah. spring, everybody. Uh, but you can find shirts. You can find uh, coffee mugs. You can find notebooks. You can find all kinds of awesome things. Uh, throw pillows. I'm about to buy myself an IPC throw pillow, honestly. <laughs> but you can find... All of that with our partners at T Public, T E E Public, T is in T-shirt, tpublic.com forward slash user forward slash IPC podcast. We've even got a barbecue element in there as well, which is really really awesome, and also just happens to be the next item on our discussion menu, if you will. Oh ho ho! So, without further ado, ladies and gents, let's get out those hashtags. Start putting them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and anything else that might carry a hashtag. If you're listening live in the chat, I'm looking for you to put it live. I don't see it there yet, but I hope I do soon. Everybody start using this hashtag, because it's time again 
for hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 Oh yeah. Okay. So I mentioned a little while ago that I was watching March Madness while trying to do this show. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I was successful enough because people didn't quite recognize that I was doing that until I actually mentioned that I was doing that. So I guess I did okay there. But uh, I thought it would be interesting if we took something along the lines of uh, March Madness and put it to the fans... To contribute to this moving forward, our next couple of barbecue-related segments are going to happen throughout the end of March into early April, and we're going to basically do a miniature March Madness of barbecue. Oh. So tonight, here's what we're going to do. We are going to seed, we're going to give standings to these eight different components and then we're going to basically create a barbecue bracket, if you will, and put it on our Twitter page with polls for people to vote on. And as those results come in, the ones that win next week then go on to the next round, to the round of four from the eight that we're giving you today, and then we'll go to the championship next week, and we'll just keep giving you updates and keep encouraging you to vote. Nice. So, the elements that we have that I came up with, and you, you, you took a look at it as well. So, I, I hope that we've got, like, all the big ones kind of uh, covered. You got, mo- in, you got most of this. them. I contributed a couple, but you got most of them the first with first try. I was like, okay, okay, I, I'm kind of blanking on this, but I think you got most of them. Yeah, yeah. So, um, the way that it works in March Madness is the strongest ones, the ones that you consider to be potentially the best, get the higher ratings, like the 1, the 2, the 3. And then the ones that aren't as strong usually get the 7 and the 8. And so we're going to go through all 8 of these and do like a 1 versus an 8, a 2 versus a 7, and so on and so forth. And then that will be the poll that we create for the Twitter page. Right. Is that fair? Sounds fair to me. Now, you and I, we both love barbecue, but I think we both have different favorites when it comes to barbecue. So, I was thinking we just flip a coin on who decides what the number one seed is, and then the other one gets the two seed. That, is that fair? That's fine with me. Do you want heads or tails? Um, I will take heads. Heads it is. And it has been flipped. And it is Heads. Okay, dude, you get to pick what the number one overall barbecue meat seed is. Here are the options for all of you listening at home. We have pork, chicken, brisket, turkey, ribs, wings, sausage, and a late entry to help out with our vegan and California friends. We have jackfruit on the list as well. Mm. Those are the eight entrants for our barbecue 
March Madness. Ben, what gets the number one overall seed? Ribs. Ribs is the number one seed in this tournament. I honestly, here's, here's, yeah, that, that's a surprise to me because I, for a split second, thought that you were going to go with uh, pork because you have pulled pork sandwiches so often. Yeah, I, I thought about it. I thought about it, but I just, ribs seem like the quintessential thing. And I just, I give that is, them the edge. That is fair. That is very fair. Um, for me, I, I'm going a little bit with bias and a little bit with some of that quintessentialness, if you will. The number two seed will therefore go to brisket. Okay. Now, because it's a late entrant and because it's technically not a barbecue meat, I was thinking jackfruit would be put in at the eight seed. That seems fair. So jackfruit now has its place at number eight, and we still have some remaining ones here in the middle what is something that you consider kind of an outlier that could be put in as the seventh seed i i have a personal opinion on it but i'm curious what yours is i would say i would say turkey turkey as the seven or maybe sausage okay okay that's very different from my two choices really really (laughs) wow i i just had uh, barbecued turkey for supper tonight actually <laughs> wow i i actually when i'm not feeling in the mood for uh red meat i go straight for the turkey instead of something like the chicken and here's here's my other opinion um wings i feel like are almost a completely separate category because you can have places like Wingstop that have barbecue flavored wings but they have other flavors as well but then some barbecue restaurants do serve wings. Right. But if if it is in its own store, like its own restaurant, has its own category, I kind of consider wings to be an outlier as well, right up there with chicken because of how many dozens of ways chicken can be prepared as well. I, that, I would think like wings and chicken could technically be in the kind of the same category. Technically, and, I suppose. Know. Because it's chicken yeah, wings. Yeah. So I, I mean, it's not like right. Yeah. It's not like you're having buffalo wings or anything like that. Which is <laughs> that's a completely different <laughs> that's a completely <laughs> different conversation. So would you be okay putting wings at something like a six or a seven? Yeah, I think that seems fair. Okay. All right. Wings will be the seventh spot then. I'm going to delete the ones that we have put in there already so that we don't get them mixed up. Brisket is now off of the list because it's got a seed now. And what am I what am I missing? Uh, ribs. Ribs can now be eliminated. So we still have four remaining seeds that are going to go in the three, four, five, six spot. They belong to pork, chicken, turkey, and sausage. I will I will submit to you and put turkey in the sixth spot. Okay. Put it in a lower in a lower genre because you can have Thanksgiving turkey without having barbecue turkey. See, that's why cuz I I never eat turkey outside of Thanksgiving. It's just me. Interesting. It's just me. But that that's my perception. That that's interesting. That's very interesting. Okay, so then what do you feel claims the three spot? Oh, the three. We still we we still have pork, chicken, and sausage remaining for the three, four, and five spots. I'm going to go with my original instinct. I'm going to say pork. 
Okay. I, I'm okay with that. Uh, because here, here's here's the thing. You can have pulled pork, but then you also have pork sausage. So there is some crossover here, just a little bit. Yes. But uh, here's the thing. You can also have chicken sausage. I have, I have, I have heard of people doing ground sausage. Here's the, here's the thing. One of my favorite grilled sausages, uh, not the kind that you get from a barbecue store, but just a packaged sausage that you get from a restaurant or not, not a restaurant, a, a store, just a grocery store. Costco has this one that is ground chicken instead of, uh, ground pork. And inside of its casing is also uh, minced tomato and basil. Mm. And wow. the spices that are included in that and the flavoring of the of the tomato ingrained with it. I mean, you put tomato ketchup on top of it sometimes. Mm-hmm. But that is probably my favorite sausage, honestly. Wow. I don't think it, I've ever had that. It's really, really good. Uh, and apparently you can only find it at Costco. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why. And I don't know how. And I don't really know where. Yeah, see, it may be Costco like... is a place that like only recently showed up in my area. Like we, I, I never even, it's never would see Costco unless it left town like for years and years. Like they recently had one in nearby. Okay. Well, we're down to the uh, the middle spots that belong to chicken and sausage. Uh, I, honestly, it doesn't really matter to me which go where because they're going to be squaring off against each other in the first round. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, I'll... I guess it's really fair just, either way. Just, just because it's probably more barbecue than chicken is, I think I'm going to put sausage at the four spot. That's fair. That's fair. I think and, I and, think that's my perception of sausage is barbecue. I that's what I think. Yeah. I, I think of barbecue sausage before. I think of smoked sausage, which I think like because I think of grilled sausage. I'm thinking like hot dogs. Yeah, that's just me, I guess. But or or German sausage or something like that. Right, like right. If it's prepared a special stuff way. like that. That's a whole. That in my mind is like a completely different like subsection of sausage. Right, right. Well, there is. Our tournament, then, we were the selection committee, and uh, I think that one actually turned out pretty well. Mm -hmm. So over the course of this week, you'll find us on uh, IPC Podcast on Twitter. Be sure to go follow us there. And we may tag a few of you just to uh, get your attention. And to annoy you into submission. And, and, And just to get you to vote, because I'm really curious to see how this is gonna go. Um... Let me see. What have we got? We're going to have a 1v8 matchup between ribs and jackfruit. We're going to have a 2v7 matchup between brisket and wings. (laughs) We're going to have a 3v6 matchup between pork and turkey. And then we're going to have a 4v5 option between sausage and chicken. So all of those polls will be made available, and we'll probably keep them open for the entire week. In fact, I may post them tonight for crying out loud and just leave them open, pin them to the top of the page. Yeah. You guys go and vote for these, and the winners will then advance to the next round. And uh, we'll play that round and discuss how we got to where we did on next week's episode of Barbecue March Madness. 
And then from there, we'll go to the final two, the championship of this March Madness, as voted by you, the listeners. And Ben and I will have to debate which one we think to be the superior barbecue during that championship round. Uh-huh. So we're in for a lot of fun with these next little bits of, of barbecue madness, but it should be really fun. Oh, yeah. I cannot wait. It's going to be, uh, it's gonna be in- interesting to wa- watch. All of the way that it uh, that it unfolds is completely up to you. We're not going to be manipulating it with our own personal Twitter accounts or anything like that. No, no, there's there's no coercion going on here at all. But uh, should be should be interesting to see how it all unfolds. So be sure to go vote. Be sure to find us IPC Podcast on Twitter. I can't say it enough. But, uh, Ben, I think that is probably the last thing I'm going to say, unless you have any final thoughts on the evening. Um, no, I think we done good with what we did and uh, love talking Captain Marvel. Um, looking forward to Endgame, which we get to talk about in like a month. Um, so that's pretty cool, getting the further adventures of Captain Marvel. Um, yeah, it's going to be crazy next few months and uh i enjoyed this movie looking forward to revisiting it sometime maybe maybe in 200 episodes we'll do like we did the dark knight we'll, we'll come back to captain marvel in the future and we'll just love it and we'll think it's the masterpiece and this thing may probably not but m- maybe 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 we'll see who knows i mean we got quite a few downloads from our dark knight revisited episode and, so it might be something that we need to consider and i have to really quick apologize to the audience for the delayed release of that episode thank you for your patience and i hope it was worth the wait because uh yeah we scheduling was just nuts last week so we had to push off recording until the last minute and then i was out of town and couldn't get it to edit it up in time so i think we released it wednesday <laughs> which is Normally is like Sunday is our normal release day, but uh, yeah, but uh, it's out there. Go check that out, and it's a pretty timeless episode because you know Dark Knight, not a new film, but you know never can uh, find uh, enough to talk about about that film. I never do. I-, I could go on and on and on about that movie, but I won't because that's not what this week's episode is for, nor is it what next week's episode is for. Next week, I believe, we continue our discussion of the galaxy far, far away. Oh, yeah. We we started with The Phantom Menace at the top of the month. We're going to conclude the month by discussing Attack of the Clones, which should be really, really fun. And we may get a special guest to join us on that discussion as well. Who knows? But we'll have to save that for next week. For now, this week's episode is now going to be put to bed i'm calling it episode 230 is now officially in the books dude we are 20 episodes away from 250 how crazy is that holy crap but that's uh that's still a long ways out ish it's happening sometime this year though Woo! but 230 we're now done for benjamin hart i'm zach arnold thank you for tuning in this week we hope that you'll tune in next week but until then we just want to leave you with this final thought Who's more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? We hope to see you fools next week on IPC. Until then, good night, everyone. <laughs>